myself in the evening breeze Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees Send me off forever, but I ask you please Don't fence me Well, 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 well. Good morning this morning and happy Friday, everybody. Yes, right. It is Common Sense Nation. Stan, thanks a ton for being here, everybody. From the Discovery Design Studios. That's right. This is Radio Free Alm. Had a little bit of a, uh, yeah, the leg lab is back. Robin, thank you. We found it earlier. It just it disappeared earlier in the week, but we were able to nail it back down. Woke up this morning, and it's the first time I've been caught where the Jeep roof was off. Yeah. First time that caught me. Usually I can anticipate the weather know what's going on, but not last night, so I wake up and, uh, yeah, the roof was off and the rain came. I don't know how hard it rained or what it was, but it was wet, so my ass is wet, and I put a towel on there, but I I still am wet, so pardon pardon my wetness, just telling you. Good morning this morning, everybody, and uh, Gia Valenti's coming in at about 7 o'clock or so, and... This is going to be weird. I think that maybe this is going to happen. I have his number. I'm supposed to call him at 9 o'clock. Scott Bayo is supposed to be on the Radio Free Almond Show at 9 o'clock, which means we're going to have an extended version for you of Radio Free Almond, and we're going to go into 9 o'clock. So I... You know, this is kind of a setup, and this is kind of a thing where the gods might be shining on us, and they might not, you might not even be interested in hearing from Scott Bayo. And 
I kind of am. Chachi. You remember old Scott. And Scott Baio, though, is a reliable conservative in Hollywood. And he is here for this Comic-Con-type convention he's in town for. And I'll pull up the the, the, – if you go to – it's STL Pop Culture Con. And it is from 3 to 9 today at the convention center there in St. Charles. STL Pop Culture Con. And it looks kind of fun. And here's a description of it. It says, Hollywood comes to St. Louis and St. Charles. More than 25 celebrities are going to be there. And cast members from the iconic film Grease to Pirates of the Caribbean to Growing Pains, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe to WWE, WWF stars, and much more. And that's all coming to St. Charles today for this STL Pop Culture Con. And so Steve Church set me up with somebody who knew somebody who <laughs> knows somebody who had Scott Bale's number. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm supposed to call him at nine o'clock. So we'll see how the whole thing works out. Scott Bayo is supposed to be on the show at 9 o'clock this morning. So I'm going to extend the Radio Free Almond show and going to get, get into it with Scott Bayo. <laughs> oh, I don't know. You think it's going to work? These kinds of things never work. But we'll see. What, what, what do we have to lose, right? You know, at 9 o'clock, it's after the show. And, you know, what do we, what do we have have to lose. He's yeah. He's been uh, Vicky pointing out. He's been under attack. His wife supported Donald Trump. He supported Donald Trump, and uh, he's been pretty brave in Hollywood. He doesn't give a rip, you know, at this stage of the game anyway. So he's going to be on with us at nine o'clock. I think <laughs> that's going to be uh, kind of the way it goes. So we've got a lot to talk about today. And when Gia comes in, we we were kind of geeking out over this uh, this murder that happened in Colorado. And Kim Paris, by the way, who did something about – who's on with us now, who did something about uh, a murder. In fact, wrote a, wrote a television movie of the week deal about a murder that happened. I, uh, the Cam, I can't remember. Campbell's or something, something along those lines. But she would know. You guys remember when I told you about how homicide detectives operate? This is this guy, Chris Watts. This is an infuriating story, by the way. Normally, as you all know, I'm a innocence before guilt guy, but this guy's guilty as hell, and it's infuriating. His pregnant wife and two little girls, and he, according to police, has confessed. Julie points out Chachi has a uh, has, has a Twitter account that's very active too. Thanks, Jules. But this guy confessed to it according to the police and just watching him it just is, makes your skin crawl but remember I told you a while back about how homicide detectives operate and how when guys are guilty and police know it 
they're always very precise about their time, times things are happening. They're always, you know, like he said, he he said she came home Monday morning at one forty eight. I mean, you know, and at twelve ten, she did this. I texted her three times. They're always very precise about things because they're covering their asses. And and I'm not revealing anything that might jeopardize a future investigation or something of that order because one thing about murderers like this guy is they're stupid. They're dumb as a bag of hair. And they'll make the mistakes every single time because they're just really not smart. They're just not smart people. Great example of that is this, uh, and, and Elise just brought up the Chris Coleman thing. This is, this is almost a, this is almost a spitting image of that case that happened in Illinois. And Chris Coleman, just like this Chris Watts guy, they're the same kind of guys. They're the same kind of you, you they're the kind of guys you meet in your daily life and you know they have their uh they have their bubbly effervescent wives but they're always kind of in the background and they're quiet and you think maybe it's just because they're cool but actually it's oftentimes because they got nothing to say there's nothing up here and you could the creep factor just your 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 uh your creep meter just pins the minute you see these guys and this guy did an interview with the TV station one of the TV stations there and the reporter who did the interview if i didn't know any better i i would think he would be he was an fbi agent the kind of info he got out of this guy was unbelievable i mean you you watch the tape of him so-called pleading for the return of his wife and daughters. And all you can think about is how guilty this dude looks and is. And it's, it's a pretty good TV classic interview and a classic case of a guy being completely good for it. And man, it's uh, it's pretty interesting. So we're going to follow up on that. What's weird about it is, a reporter, another reporter did an interview with a neuropsychologist about this interview with this guy, and it was horrible because she was talk- he was interpreting everything the guy said and did, and she never once played a soundbite from the guy. Not once. Here, here I'll just play. I'll play part of it for you. This is... Christopher okay. Watts. Uh, Chris Watts. W-A-T-T-S. The minute he even said his name, you're like, that guy killed his wife and two babies. The minute you just looked at the guy. Oh, look, there's the guy who killed his wife and two babies. He's about to tell us he'd like them to come home. Standing there with his closed pose and waving back and forth. And he just is, uh, it was just I mean, this reporter was pretty good. I got to give him a shout out. Right now, it's got canine units, the sheriff's department. Everybody's like they're they're doing their best right now to figure. Yeah, I mean, this guy just looking at this thing, it was classic. But I told you guys a long time ago 
about the way police operate and homicide detectives operate. And I'll never forget this one case, and it happened at Covenant Theological Seminary, and there was a murder on campus there. They pretty much knew – it's Elizabeth McIntosh. She was a uh, a woman who from Scotland who came here to study there and was in a work-study type of environment. So she was like a janitor. And she wound up being killed one night in the bathroom. Yeah. yeah. He said like 250 times. Yeah, he did. Dumbo, she called him. <laughs> but the, the – she got killed in the bathroom overnight. They were on Covenant Theological Seminary. It was never – the case was never solved, and I did a lot of work on this thing. Almost wanted to write a book about it and everything else, but there was no end to the book. And that was the big problem with people who I was trying to get a little part of it to, to, to get involved in it. They were like, yeah, but there's, the, the problem with these murder mysteries is there, there needs to be kind of an end to them. That's the problem. And there wasn't, there's not an end to this one yet. But they're pretty sure the guy who killed her was another seminarian on campus, and now he's out and about. He's probably – he's a minister someplace, as a matter of fact. They're pretty sure they knew who the guy was because they asked him to write down – this is the major case squad. This was back in the, in, in the 90s. They asked him to write down like his whereabouts at all times that day. And the only time that he was precise about knowing what he was doing, like I, he was, I was here, I, I did it at 7.15, blah, blah, blah. And it's pretty much exactly the time of the murder. They, they give them, they do it every single time. And, some, and these guys are always overly precise about what they're doing. Overly precise about the time, all that kind of stuff. And this interview is a classic example of that. So when Gia comes in, we'll kind of tackle that whole thing. And also I'll, I'll lay it out about this story. They interviewed a neurophysicist to interpret this this interview and the woman never the reporter never played a soundbite or anything just kind of interviewed this old man sitting there in a chair looking at the video and you did not need to be a neurophysicist to know that this guy is guilty as hell i mean it just it was pretty clear from the from the from the very beginning. So we'll 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 talk about that. Meanwhile, a ton of other news, but there's also news, ladies and gentlemen, about the uh, about the show. And I am super pleased to announce that my guys over at Golden Oak Lending are now officially the sponsors of Radio Free Almond. I have a post up there on the main page, and you can check that out. And I'm just really super happy and, and and super proud of the fact that the guys from Golden Oak Lending are now uh, part of the show. And I have to tell you, it was not difficult to land these guys. It's just we had, you know, we had we we just you know had to have a meeting and talked a little bit to these guys. And I had lunch with them yesterday, uh, and it was a blast. And this was one of those things where we, James Hawkins and Sean Curtis, who were both partners in Golden Oak Lending, said, you know what, we want to support Radio Free Almond. So they are, again, joining the ranks of all the other folks who are supporting Radio Free Almond. 
Golden Oak Lending. And you can check them out at goldenoaklending.com. And they are officially supporters of Radio Free Almond. Great guys. And these two guys had a dream of someday owning a business like this. James Hawkins worked at Golden Oak Lending for a time. And then when the transition happened, he went ahead and bought the company and hired Sean Curtis, who's a great guy too. And the rest is history with Golden Oak Lending. And when I say history, you know what this means? These guys are ranking among the two top lenders in the country. And yet they are local people. And so if I'm going to anybody for a home purchase or a refi, I'm going to go with the guys who know where I live, about my property, about the geographics and the pricing and the comps and all those kinds of things about my area. I'm going to go to the local guys. I'm going to get the best rate, the most personal service, and that's what you're going to get with my friends at Golden Oak Lending. Really great guys, the lowest rate you're going to find anywhere, and I really am proud to announce them being part of the show. And you know the name because you've heard the jingle on the radio, Golden Oak Lending Cured My Blues. Yeah, you know that one. And I'm going to have them in beginning uh, the week of September when Radio Free Almond 2.0 kind of kicks off. And going to have them in. They'll talk talk a lot about Golden Oak Lending and and their support of the show. So I really appreciate these guys. And uh, James is a great guy. Sean's a great guy. And put the picture up there. And these guys require everybody at the place to dress up. Coat and ties for the guys. Nice clothes for the gals. And... I show up without a coat and tie for the interview with these guys. Not the interview, but you know, to, to have lunch with them. And there I am, no coat and tie. But I didn't look that bad, but <laughs> I didn't have a coat and tie. I still said, no, we're going to still, still support you. Next time, wear a coat and tie, Allman. Uh, yes, sir. But appreciate those guys at Golden Oak Lending. And uh, goldenoaklending.com is the, is the website there. So, boy, really crazed over the reaction to the removal of the clearance for all of these people who we never even realized they had clearance in the first place. And what's astounding to me is that the, oh, and Tracy Ellis is on board. She is the one who, and Tracy, thank you. Hey, Mama Kay, I owe you a phone call. Yesterday was busy, as you can see. Uh, Mama Kay, she of the, they're going to do uh, ghost tours this year around the Halloween so uh, time. So I'm going to have Mama Kay on and her team about that, the ghost tours. Mama Kay, t- give them a link on the Facebook page for me, will you? So they could sign up for your ghost tours. But in the meantime, I'm going to have you in and try to get Mama Kay on to do the, do, do, do the paranormal show here on Radio Free Almond once we get started into the fall. So check it out. Yeah, I had a leather belt on, Ellen. That's right. Leather belt, and I, I didn't wear flip-flops. I wore regular shoes. So just so you know, I wasn't, you know, I was at least tried a little harder this time around. But Tracy is the one who introduced me to the Golden Oak Lending guys. And all you, as all you know, I'm kind of a go-between now. I work with them at TracyEllis.com, the Rick and Tracy Ellis team. And so I'll give you a little, uh, the numbers a little later that you can call me. And I'll set you up directly with Tracy and Rick, and they'll directly handle your home 
sale, your home purchase, your business sale, your business purchase. But uh, Tracy's the one who set me up with the Golden Oak guys. I went out there a while back, and they were there. And we kind of just hit it off, and, and Tracy helped me seal the deal with them. So I really appreciate what Tracy and Rick have done for me and for Radio Free Almond. And uh, Tracy and Rick have been longtime friends and really love them. And I, for all of your home sale, home purchase needs, I, I guy, there's a guy out in the hinterlands who's trying to sell his farm. I hooked him up with her. I don't know how that thing is going, but we'll see. So really great people. But thank you for the hookup with uh, Golden Oak Lending, the premier lending company in town and indeed in the country, one of them. But the added benefit is they're local. So that's fantastic. So anyway, I was really surprised that the news media. This is this is about draining the swamp. This is this is what we talk about when we talk about draining the swamp. And when. We have a news media that just takes, accepts as just reality and part of the deal of being an American that when you leave the White House or you leave government service, you are kind of gifted on the way out with security clearances. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the hell is that defensible? Like, 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 how is it that, how is it that Brennan and these people in the first place, Susan Rice, still have security clearances? And yet the media doesn't even ask those kinds of questions. Like, um, what the hell? They just jump to the next level and talk about how, and, and listen to people bitch, like little whiny bitch Brennan. What a little traitorous bee he is. Acting as if somehow they, they took his little baby gift away from him that he shouldn't have in the first place. And yet we actually entertain people on TV complaining about the fact that they lost their security clearance. And is it revenge for the fact that they have been never Trumpers and detractors from the Trump administration? Hell yes, it is. And it should be. I actually think that it should go further than this. I think anybody who's not currently employed in the United States government or in the White House should be stripped of their security clearances. There should be no one who has a security clearance if they're not working for the government. How is it possible? You all who are going to work today or doing whatever, if you left your if you well, Jim Talon has a security clearance. Well, Jim shouldn't have one either. Is that a slippery slope, Scooter? It's 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 no one who isn't employed by the U.S. government and currently tenured in the U.S. government should have a security clearance. And, and so, yeah, Jim Talon shouldn't have one either. That's just that's just how it works. I, it, to to accept that one would mean you'd have to accept the other ones. And I say no one who is employed outside of the government, specifically in situations where they could do the, the damage because they have no at that point no ties really to the government, should have a security clearance. I, I just think it's ridiculous. It's 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 a luxury that this country should not 
be giving to people who aren't employed by the government. So if Jim has one, then take his too. Jim's been traveling, so I'm not, he hasn't, uh, he's been kind of off and on. So a lot, a lot of my people are traveling this, this week. We've got uh, Doug joining us a little later on, but a lot of like uh, Jim Carafano traveling, Jim Talent traveling. So we'll have to see if I can get Jim on maybe as a special occasion so I can tell him that he needs to have his security clearance stripped. That'll go over well. Hey, Jim, welcome to the show. You should have your security clearance stripped. But anyway, I, I mean, I'll be honest with him. But we don't. We, we just accept that these guys have it. And 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 Brennan was squawking, running his fat mouth on NBC and MSNBC, running down the the president of the United States. And and at that point, you got to question his motivations, and you got to you got to wonder why he had one to begin with. And then you have little Bob Corker here, and they're all making it out to be like the president's another Nixon because he's deciding not to. Uh, extend perks to people who hate him. Little Bob Corker. He's with the uh, Senate Foreign Relations Commission or committee. And he, and he's, he was on talking about this and, and griping about these people who are being Look, stripped of their. I thought it's kind of a banana rub republic kind of thing. It has been a, Continual sort of tearing down of institutions. Oh, right, yeah. He says it's a banana republic type of thing when the president is deciding he's going to... uh, He's deciding to strip people who don't work in government of security clearances. To me, the idea that they have security clearances at all, that makes us the banana republic. The fact that they actually have them to begin with. And it's weird to see these swamp monsters like like Bob, little Bob Corker saying, this is a teardown of institutions for this. What, what institution? Just this, this institution of just handing out security clearances to people who no longer really are relevant to the United States government or work in the U.S. government? Little Bob Corker. Causing Americans to lose faith in institutions instead of building. I'm sorry, but I lost more faith in government knowing that Susan Rice still has a security clearance and John Brennan has a security clearance than I ever did. So a lot of Americans should be pissed off about this, that these people have these. And I don't know what what he's talking about with Americans losing faith. Yeah, I'm losing faith in our institutions because traitorous a-hole John Brennan, who runs his mouth on NBC and, and denigrates the president of the United States that I voted for. Yeah, I'm losing faith in the institution now that Trump has stripped him of his security clearance. All right. Yeah, that's. That's 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 a that's a winning issue for you, little Bob Corker. I mean, that's what's made our country function in the way that it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Bob Corker is trying to explain that John Brennan having a security clearance is key to making our country function. No, it's key to making John Brennan a traitor. It's key to making John Brennan use information he gleans from a security clearance to leak to the news media and attack the president of the United States. That, that's what 
he's utilizing his security clearance for. So th- this is why Americans don't trust the government. Because a lot of this, while seemingly it's not even news to Brett, Brett Baer and all these guys on, on Fox even are like, yeah, yeah, they took away the security clearance. Instead of saying why, wondering why they had it to begin with. And, and, and all the, the only defense I've heard is that it's A, protocol. B, it's just kind of something people do. Just kind of one of the things. It's tradition to have people who leave government still have their security clearances. Or C, people who leave government who might actually go back to a government job. And because it's so difficult to get a security clearance, they hold on to it in the event they might be back in government. And, and that's probably the, the most compelling reason to have one. So, for instance, if that must be why maybe even Jim Talent still retains his. There was a chance that Jim Talent was going to become the Secretary of Defense. If I know there, there, was, there was some discussion of that. And since he already had one, I guess, because of his role as a U.S. senator or something or other, they figured maybe he should keep it. But I don't think they should uh, – anybody outside of government ought to have one. And I'm really shocked that the news media – and other I, I saw MSNBC yesterday deciding they were going to kind of double box James Dean uh, – James Dean uh, – Howard Dean – no, James Dean – from the Nixon administration, double box him, an image of him and the and the Nixon enemies list with Trump and his list. I like President Trump's list of people and, and it, Nixon's enemies list was hidden from the public. That was kind of the, 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 the nefarious nature of Nixon's enemies list. But President Trump's so-called enemies list is right out there in front. And I wouldn't even call it an enemies list. I would call it a list of people who shouldn't have security clearances and finally are having them stripped, which is great news. And why they have it to begin with is another story entirely. Sweet in the valley of the bees, 
in the belly of the beast and with her song in your heart it can never bring you down it can never bring you down all right radio free almond Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday to you. Chia Valenti is going to be in at about 7 o'clock or so. Going to talk about this murder there in Colorado. She and I were kind of geeking out over it because it's uh, fascinating and infuriating. I'll tell you that thing in Colorado. That's a crime story. I don't normally do a lot of crime on the Radio Free Almond show, but I, I, I talked to you a little bit about some of the inside on how some of these murder investigations work. So it's kind of fascinating to tell you the truth. J.C. Doug Giles' painting of Melania is pretty much complete. And then he has his painting of Raquel Welch. That's beautiful. Doug is really a good painter. ClashDaily.com. He's a a really good painter. It's beautiful prints. Gia, I I think she bought the, the Swamp print, which is awesome. Those are all still for sale at ClashDaily.com, as is the other gear as well. And then 9 o'clock this morning, Steve Church says, he, he said, I talked to him last night. It'll be good. That's fine. I'm not. I trust you, brother. Sometimes I always just get a little, it's not about you. It's about me. I'm not always sure that's really going to happen. Also, by the way, uh, Matt, don't forget to text me the name of this of Sean, please, so I can, I can get him on because... Matt turned me on to a guy who is recorded in Gaslight. Here's from Fayette, Arkansas. Brand new talent. Uh, in, and this guy is amazing. You'd be surprised at some of the people that come out of uh, Gaslight or come through here even. The Bernie sisters and the, the, the little duo, duo of teenage girls who are just amazing. Sean James. I don't know where to begin. Yeah, Jim Talent's gonna join us at 730. I'll call him at 730 and inform him that his security clearance has been been stripped. I'm gonna I'm stripping him of his security clearance. He might have a compelling reason why he still has one. Scooter says he does. I don't know whether actually he does or not, but I will call. I'll call you at seven thirty, buddy. He's traveling big time, so he's uh, going to fit us in, though, because he's a nice man. Jim Talent is. Did you see the Kirsten Gillibrand, who is a senator in New York? There, they're all gearing up to kind of face off against. Against Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court position, you know? 
And Claire, I'm sure, is ultimately going to vote for him. I think she's going to do that. She, I think she's going to go ahead and vote yes because she's got to kind of make herself appear more centrist. And this is probably an easy vote for her. So I think she's going to vote yes. Because all the all the left-wing loons will still will still support her. I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter. They're not going to they're going to not vote for her. I got my first piece of mail. I got my first piece of Josh Hawley mail yesterday. Asking for money. I, I don't. I don't really. I gave Trump money, but I don't really give anybody money. <laughs> Too often. I'll give him my time. You know, I'll put. I'll put. Uh, I'll put them on. You know, and I'll support him too. I'll vote for him. I'll vote for Josh Hawley. I'm not going to not vote for Josh. I'm not, I'm not going to not vote and let Claire McCaskill get another term. I'm going to. I'm going to vote. So, right after the show, I, I'm going to. I'm going to talk about this Ferguson protest. She was at Kirsten Gillibrand's thing. Packnet, remember her? One of the Ferguson rioters. She appeared at the Kirsten Gillibrand forum against Kavanaugh, and it led everybody in in a communist chant, like a, like a communist anthem. Can you hear it? I'll hear it. Before I get to Aretha here real quickly, let me see. Let me just turn my music down a little bit here real quickly. That's uh, Death Cab for Cutie. I love these guys. They're a great band. Death Cab for Cutie. You like Death Cab for Cutie, man? They're good, man. They ever come through here? Oh, they have? Maybe like the lead singer, because he comes in and does solo stuff, I think, sometimes, too. These guys are they're great musicians, and I just love love the band. So just in case you're wondering, that was Death Cab for Cutie, everybody, here at Radio Free Almond. Good morning this morning. Happy Friday, everybody. From the Discovery Design Studios, discoverydesigninc.com. Also, by the way, hope you can get down to Santino Cigars and Cocktails on Vogel Road right there in Arnold sometime this weekend. Get down there. Happy hour tonight. How about go down there and grab a whiskey? And a cigar, or a beer and a cigar, or just a beer, or just a whiskey, or maybe some gin. Monkey 47, try some of that. 47 different botanicals all in one. It's a German gin made with a recipe from India. Go figure. It's pretty good gin, though, by the way. Santino Cigars and Cocktails, Vogel Road in Arnold. Yeah, so Brittany Packnett is on this, like, pro-abortion panel in New York. And it's designed to oppose the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. So she decided to go ahead and get the attendees on their feet and, like, take this oath that was derived from the Communist Manifesto. Did Kirsten Gillibrand know she was going to be doing this? 
So as you know, back in the day, PacNet was part of the organizer, or the organizing of the protests in Ferguson. And she and her fellow activists were really the ones, the engines behind the false accusation that Darren Wilson murdered Michael Brown with his hands up, the hands up, don't shoot thing. Brittany Packnett and the rest of that gang, they were the ones who advanced that lie about Michael Brown's hands being up. She was part of that whole cabal up there. And she also was one of those individuals who, uh, teamed up with Lauren Duca. Lauren Duca is the one who said that people who are supportive of President Trump, even his family members, ought to be harassed. I mean, she's just a she's just a wild one, this Brittany Packnet. But anyway, she led these people in this chant. I don't even know whether these people knew what they were doing. Listen to this thing. Hold on, before I, I need to be, be I need to skip the ad. She was not a gun ad. Darn it. This is this is what they used to do. This is the kind of thing they used to chant at their little commie meetings back in the day. This is this is taken directly out of the communist manifesto. It is our duty to fight for for freedom. It is our duty to win. We must love and support one another. That's lifted directly out of the communist manifesto. I don't even know whether they even realized they were doing that. Dopes. How did Brittany Packnett wind up up there in New York? I guess these people are all kind of part of that that clipboard mafia, you know, we saw that got Obama elected, kind of that whole acorny thing. So anyway, after the show yesterday, really minutes after we went off the air, Aretha Franklin died. So those of you who are wondering about... uh, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it because I love her. But One of the things I learned yesterday, I thought this was... I thought this was a Dionne Warwick song. But it was originally an Aretha Franklin song. That's something I learned yesterday. Sweet Woman had a really interesting life. She had her first child when she was 12. Did you know that? She was a mom when she was 12 years old. Then had another baby when she was 14. And 76 is young. It's funny how some of these people who'd never really even paid attention to Aretha Franklin were like... Acted like she was their best friend yesterday. Every TV news anchor, everybody. Aretha Franklin is like, how much do you listen to her? Never, but, you know. But I'll tell you one thing. Now you can say you know you knew exactly where you were 
Remember, because yesterday we were saying, talking about it was the anniversary of the death of Elvis, and everybody remembered exactly where they were when Elvis died. And now you can remember exactly where you were when Aretha Franklin died. You were fresh off of listening to Radio Free Almond and commemorating the death of Elvis Presley. You can always remember the death of Aretha Franklin because you were talking about the death of Elvis Presley. So now you know where you were. You were in your car at your home longing for Radio Free Almond to come back on again. That's where you were when Aretha Franklin died. I was off the air. It was 9.06. It was 9.06 and you were just thinking to yourself, darn it, that show is over. Love that show. Almond's not there anymore. What a bummer. Then the news flash of Aretha Franklin. So that's how you're going to remember it from now on. So I was minding my own business and Wondering where the hell Almond went, wishing his show was another hour to hear his brilliance. And then I heard Aretha Franklin died. So that's what you're going to tell your grandchildren. You know what I was doing? I was listening to uh, what Matt turned me on to. This guy. Sean James. Let me find him. Gaslight Sessions. Aretha Franklin. She loved. She she had her. She she loved her some Obama. You know what I mean. She was she was at his inauguration and. But she was a good person. She was a good person. You know she 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 kept her kind of kind of kept to herself. You know. Let me see if I can find this. All right. Uh, Sean James. How, uh, this thing had this. Listen to this. This this was right where I'm standing right now. This was recorded. This was recorded where I'm standing right now, my people. Listen to this. This is a new upcoming star. Did you did you video? Are you the videographer on this? Matt was the one who shot this thing. Can you put a link on that up on, up on the Facebook page? Yeah, Matt's going to do that. And then you could show him setting up. Sean James from Fayetteville, Arkansas. I'm here with Sage Cornelius on the fiddle. And we're going to play a song I wrote for you called Midnight Dove here live at the Gaslight Sessions. You, know, you can see some of the speakers that are behind me now. They're right there behind Sean James. Standing on the very carpet where Sean James stood. It's called Midnight Dove. Good morning this morning, and I won't get pulled off of Facebook for this. I think. He wouldn't do that to me. But it's right right in the studio here. It's kind of cool to see. I'll shut up. Pretty darn good.
Pretty good, huh? The sky opens up and it's cold He also did a cover of a Bill Withers tune. That's the one you played me, right? I'll play that a little later on. It's really good. Sean James, if you want to check him out. If you go on YouTube and Gaslight Sessions, it's going to be right there. Lots of uh, budding stars, people who come out of nowhere. You you wonder where Chris Stapleton came from, you know, for instance. This is, you know, how they get started. This guy's good. Good morning this morning, everybody. Live from the Discovery Design Studios, this is Radio Free Almond. And thank you, Sean James. I'll, I'll play more of that uh, a little later on. He did a Bill Withers tune that uh, you will all appreciate, and uh, he's an uh, awesome dude. Awesome. I wish him the best. Next time maybe he comes into town or something, we can have a little happy hour here and see him at concert, and we can just go through look through the looking glass where uh, where we do the show, and he'll be right there on the carpet and be fantastic. Do you see this uh, – Report about the Trump tariffs. I'm hearing some mixed reviews about the Trump tariffs. Have you been talking to people you know in businesses and things like that who have been affected by them? There are some people who are truly and legitimately concerned about how this is all going to shake out in terms of the in terms of the tariffs. But I will tell you one thing: for other people, the tariffs are paying off. Here's a report. From the Coalition for a Prosperous America, President Trump's protective tariffs on imported steel, aluminum, solar panels, and washing machines have created more than 11,000 American jobs over the course of six months. This is according to this study by the Coalition for a Prosperous America. 11,000 American jobs throughout the country, a far cry from the job losses that were predicted by the free traders out there. By the way, you see Jonah Goldberg, what he did to, to the president. He said he was a terrible father and a husband. That's what we're getting from the Never Trumpers now. They've, they've run out of things to to crap all over Trump about and and as – our economy gets better and people start to prosper more and President Trump's policies start to roost and help the country and help people and help blacks and help whites and Hispanics and everybody. It's pissing the never Trumpers off even more. And so we get that from Jonah Goldberg. 
a nice little piece in the National Review about what a terrible father President Trump is, which actually uh, it's contrary to what I hear from his kids, but oh well. Oh, he's a terrible father to Tiffany. Oh, okay. Gotcha, Jonah. A terrible husband too. So it's like that's that's the sum total of the, the Never Trumper movement now is that they're judging President Trump on his fatherhood and husbandry. By the way, this uh, report states that the national media is uh, generally ignoring job creation arising from this new trade posture. These jobs will have substantial positive effects on local economies and the national U.S. economy. This is according to economist Jeff Ferry. They are in general well-paying manufacturing jobs in high-productivity businesses. And so then you have these individuals who have high-paying jobs in manufacturing, 11,000 of them, and they're going out and they're going to restaurants. They're going to movies. They're buying cars. They're buying clothes. It's kind of how things operate. Trickle down. All right. Yeah, people are saying, Mama Kay says Tiffany lived all the way on the other side. She did. She's lived, it's, it's, what, what are these people doing? You know, they, they, they've been proven to be wrong time and time again. And now they're just getting to the point where they're nitpicking over and judging whether President Trump's a good dad or a good husband. Anyway, the study found notable increases in domestic steel and aluminum jobs. In the steel industry alone, nearly 5,000 manufacturing jobs have been created. In the aluminum industry, a little less than fewer than 3,000 manufacturing jobs have been created. And President Trump, as you might know, stated that the country was built on tariffs. And these individuals with this organization are saying, you know what? He's kind of right. If you look back in history at what individuals who, well, one of them is my personal hero, Calvin Coolidge. Well, and Ronald Reagan. And, and here's and the reason why we have tariffs, by the way, is, is it's a corrective action. And now I do know some people who are very concerned about the effect of tariffs on their business now and are hoping that some of what the press is doing is simply a threat as opposed to something that he's ultimately going to follow through on everything. And I happen to believe that the president is that kind of guy. If you've ever read Art of the Deal, a lot of it's built on aiming high and settling for a little bit below that. And that's kind of how the president has made his life in business and beyond. So these economists say in the solar industry, there have been 1,150 new U.S. jobs created thanks to the tariffs. And in the washing machine industry, 2,100 jobs have been created. Now, this Story here, the country was built on tariffs. It's on Breitbart. I'll put a link to it eventually for you. A lot of of critics took him on when he said the country was built on tariffs. 
Keep in mind, once again, I will tell you, and, and this is something I've been talking about for a long time, even before it became a thing, when there were discussions about trade issues and trade policies that were disadvantageous to Americans. You realize that the regulation of commerce is one of the enumerated powers of the federal government in the Constitution. It's one of the few tasks of the federal government is to regulate commerce. And trade falls into that category. And when you are in a situation where you have politicians, Republican and Democrat, banding together in a destructive bipartisan fashion and crafting deals that help them and their corporatist donors instead of you, then you have a compelling interest as the federal government to step in and right the ship. Free trade is not free trade if it's not fair trade. We've talked about that exhaustively. One of the very first acts of Congress was the passage of the Tariff Act of 1789. I'm reading from this article now for you just so just to get, kind of illuminate you here. George Washington signed it into law on July 4th of 1789. A free people ought not only to be armed but disciplined to which end a uniform and well-digested plan is requisite. And their safety and interests require that they should promote such manufactories as tend to render them independent of others for essential, particularly military, supplies. So at the time, it was more or less an act that was designed to make sure that we were protecting our manufacturing of armaments and things like that. Alexander Hamilton, who I'm not a huge fan of because I do believe he – took the federal government's role a little too far. But in this case, he was right, and he was right on a couple of measures. I'm not saying he was a complete idiot or anything. I do have disagreements with him about the general welfare clause and how he interpreted that. But his, he, he, was, he was, though, a fairly well-put-together and smart economist individual who knew a little something about business, Alexander Hamilton did. Again, he didn't know how to duel, but he did know a little bit about business. And he said this, the wealth, independence, and security of a country appeared to be materially connected with the prosperity of manufacturers. Every nation ought to endeavor to possess within itself all the essentials of national supply these comprise and means of substance, habitation, clothing, and defense. And so then, by the time we got through the late 1790s and the early 1800s, we had a fairly expansive level of commerce here. Industrial development was moving fast. And then about... Pushing into about the uh, early 1800s, uh, and, and uh, these guys were all at that point starting to impose some pretty high tariffs on all manufactured goods at that time. And this was all, by the way, constitutional. This was all within the purview and design and construct of the federal government. 
And the textile industry is what ultimately really benefited from this. Really became like the beginning of the manufacturing system in the U.S., and then there were uh, there were importers of uh, cheap copper, for example, who complained that the tariff was raising its cost too much. But the leaders chose to put the national interest first. And I did, in fact, talk to somebody who is in a business they, they deal heavily with China, and they are really great people who possibly might be affected negatively by some tariffs, but. They said, you know, as long as it helps the country overall, I think I'm willing to put up with a certain level of a higher cost of of doing business. And I was thinking to myself, wow, that's a that's a really mature, well-developed way to look at it. Because not everybody's able to look at things in that fashion and say, well, if it's good for the country, then I'm okay. I'll make these sacrifices. Because that's hard to it's hard to say, it's hard to do. But they did it. They say it. Pat Buchanan wrote that book in 1998 called The Great Betrayal. Buchanan was all over this early on, and he was looked upon as kind of a loon of sorts, you know. But he was right. He said the tradition of Tariff did not die with the founders because they were very active tariff guys back in the day. But a generation after generation of American leaders that would include Andrew Jackson, Abraham Lincoln, William McKinley, Teddy Roosevelt, Warren Harding, not the greatest example, Harding was a corrupt dude, but nonetheless, and Calvin Coolidge, one of my heroes. Economic patriotism put America first and made America first. That's what Pat Buchanan wrote in a recent column, at least. One of the main objections to Trump's view of history, though, seems to be rooted in a misunderstanding of the Boston Tea Party. You guys remember the Boston Tea Party, right? The Boston Tea Party was not, as as some people have suggested, a rebellion against a tariff aimed at fostering or protecting domestic industry. It was not really a rebellion against that. It was instead a reaction against the Stamp and Townsend, Townsend Act. Remember the Stamp Act, right? The, these were imposed taxes intended to just simply extract revenue from the colonists. They were they were in no way resembling in any way, shape, or form the tariffs of George Washington or Thomas Jefferson or Donald Trump, for that matter. Not in any way, shape, or form. So in order for us to have educated arguments about this whole thing, you got to make sure that the people who spring this Boston Tea Party garbage on you are stopped in their tracks. Because... Contrary to what some people might tell you, again, the Boston Tea Party was not a rebellion against protective tariffs. Because what's happening is you're you're assuming that that's what's what the what the Crown was doing was just simply doing protect protecting the colonies. It wasn't. It was designed to nitpick and 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 
squeeze change out of the colonists. Tax on tea. Like a tax on stamps. I mean, it was the Stamp Act. You, you go way back, and that was one of the that was the thing that really tipped the scales for college. They were like, "All right, this is ridiculous." It's just one of the things. So, be, in order for us to have a constructive argument about the tariffs, we got to get this Boston Tea Party thing right. And the reality is, the Boston Tea Party actually supports. President Trump's view of history. The colonists at that time believed they were being treated unfairly when it came to the terms of the trade imposed by the British. And the act itself was a tariff. But Americans now are rebelling against a federal government that has created competitive forces against them. People don't realize that that one of the one of the bad things about the trade policies of the United States up until now has been that we were cutting trade deals with individuals and thus competing against our own people. We the trade deals were giving competitive advantages to foreign countries and not Americans. And so thus you had a federal government that wasn't – that has not been unlike the crown in nickel and diming its citizens. And in this case, the nickel and diming came in the form of creating deals that were disadvantageous to Americans and creating deals that created growing companies – But the companies weren't growing here. They were growing in other countries because they were benefiting from our trade policy. So the government was creating an environment where it was competing against its own citizens. That's intolerable. Meanwhile, the big news today, too, is that the Trump administration is uh, close to striking a deal with Mexico, revamping NAFTA. But there are some issues that have yet to be resolved. Uh, Canada is, of course, in, involved in that as a, as a triad there. But if, they, if, if we reach a deal with Mexico, it would be a huge breakthrough because NAFTA has been this, this thing that people have now settled into the reality that it has been bad for this country. And Canada is kind of in that mode where they don't really want to cooperate too much, but the Trump trade guys, the negotiators, you know, you'd think the the story is that somehow President Trump is a xenophobe and hates Mexicans and blah, 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 blah. But in the background, you know what's going on? President Trump's trade guys are all meeting with senior Mexican officials in Washington while the media is busying itself with whether or not there's an N-word on a tape someplace or Jonah Goldberg's busying himself judging how good of a husband President Trump is. Trump is doing the work of the country, of the citizens. And, and, and he's not bragging about it right now. You know, I mean, you wouldn't know unless I told you right now that there are Mexican trade officials in Washington, D.C. right now. You wouldn't know it if I didn't tell you. 
because you click on any channel here and there's Amorosa. There's there's Brennan bitching like a little whiny baby about his security clearance being taken from him. Poor little baby. But if you turned on the TV, you wouldn't you wouldn't know there are senior Mexican officials in Washington, would you now? Basically, the two sides so far, according to people who are kind of familiar with these discussions, say that the Mexicans and Trump's guys, Americans, have basically agreed to new rules on auto trade, which has been a top priority of the White House, and it might lead to more investment in the U.S. and and curb this this flight of jobs to Mexico right now. In exchange, it looks like that one of our trade representatives, because we're trying to get them to to uh, hold tight, and in exchange, the our trade guy says uh, that he's going to be a little more flexible on an earlier demand for an automatic five-year termination of NAFTA and a proposal to make it easier for the U.S. to press anti-dumping claims against seasonal produce like tomatoes from Mexico. So these trade negotiations generally just deal with all variety of issues and, and then, you know, there, there, there's a little give on the part of the U.S. and a little give on the part of Mexico, but it's a major deal to be able to to pull this off and 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 revamp NAFTA. It's a major deal, and Mexican officials are right now in Washington D.C. doing this, working with Mister Xenophobe, Mister Hate Mexican guy, Donald Trump, and his people. Yeah, and yeah, there, there's a little bit of a. You know, Canada is is kind of like uh, balking as usual, but we'll see how it all works out. If Canada signs on by month's end, uh, and there's a three way preliminary agreement, according to the uh, Washington Post, there'd be a period of public review, economic assessment by the Trade Commission, and maybe NAFTA. A revised NAFTA could be voted on by lawmakers uh, next year when a new Congress is seated. That's why it's all the more important to make sure that true conservatives are in Congress because the Republicrats and the Democrats are poised to throw people under the bus at this point, Americans. And this election is going to have some huge consequences, especially if they have to go voting on the on a revised NAFTA. So that's another thing that's at stake with the midterm elections, just so letting you know. So coming up. You've given me a true love. And every day I thank you, love. Gia Valenti is going to be in and we're going to talk. Murder. So inviting, so exciting. We were geeking out over this murder in Colorado, this horrific dude. 
And these guys are all the same. You remember that uh, Chris Coleman thing over there in Columbia, Illinois? Remember that? Killed his wife and kids. This guy's just, this guy's an exact replica of Chris Coleman. Unbelievable. All right, Gia, come on in, dear. Gia Valenti. Hi. Oh, she's got the brand new Radio Free Almond tank on. That's the white, right? That's the white nationalist color. The white marble. White marble, I'm sorry. Yeah. I say white nationalist. White nationalist. I didn't mean that. It just slipped out, slipped out of my, off of my tongue there. How you doing? I'm good. There was a little more traffic this morning. Yeah, because it, it, you know, it rains and people go, is it raining outside? By traffic, I mean, no. Oh. I mean, large yellow school buses. Oh. That's what I mean. <laughs> a little, little different than gotcha. my normal commute. Yeah. So. Is it raining outside? No. Oh. It's just damp from yesterday. Yeah, I had the, uh, I, I, um, you okay? I, maybe a little more. I, actually, I have nothing. A little more, a little more, a little more, a little more. Getting there. There we go. There you go. Yeah, thanks, Matt. You're kind of like on a leash. <laughs> there we go. Uh, yeah, I, I woke up this morning and I saw the glistening concrete and I thought, oh, no. The Jeep. The Jeep. I... I, I usually am pretty good. I've gotten really good at anticipating. Like I get d- d- during the daytime when I'm actually awake, I could see a, you know, I could see it coming, the rain coming, mm-hmm. and then I could put the put the roof on right quickly. I can do the I do a, the little Chinese fire drill type of thing. Get out of my jeep, get the things in the back, put it and put it in. But uh, last night I got caught, so I didn't know it was going to rain. Mm-mm. It was a beautiful evening. I had the roof off and. Driving around and you know having a little fun and uh, you know went to sleep and never even anticipated there would be rain. Yeah. So woke up this morning and my my uh, butt is wet and my back from driving in. But apparently I was told that the jeeps are that they're built that way. So they're supposed to get wet. Yeah, I mean it's supposed to be rugged. Hmm. I'm assuming that's the case. Rugged. Rugged, my rugged Rubicon. All right, so this thing, I mean, it's very disturbing. Like, normally, like on this show, we don't do a whole. Oh, um, remind 30, Jim Talent, 8 30, <laughs> Doug Giles, 9 o'clock, Scott Bayo. I am you. not dropping the ball today. Thank you. I was, I just, <laughs> I just, uh, remembered that because I, I was, uh, we missed Doug Giles last week or on Tuesday. You were in, and this was obviously not your fault. I, I just forgot. You and I got into a conversation. I forgot to call him, and so we're not talking about hair braiding today, okay? Yeah, I know. Okay, well, I, don't tell him we were talking Mm-mm. about hair braiding while we forgot to call him. Nope. It was a good discussion. It just was. It just kept me from calling him. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, I'm trying to get him back on today. We'll see. He, he's he not, won't answer. Not, well, he's playing a little hard to get now. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, I can't be on Wednesday. I can't be on Thursday. Maybe I can Try be on Friday. Friday. <laughs> we'll see. Get a hold of me that morning, and I'll see whether or not I'm. I can be on. So, so he's punishing me. I think for uh, not calling him. 
so great. So just remind me, 7.30, I have to call Jim and inform him that I'm taking his security clearance. Oh, okay. Scooter says that Jim has security clearance. He does? And I believe that he should not have one. <laughs> I don't think anybody who's not employed in the government should no, have one. I agree with you. So Jim why might have it. But he might have a compelling reason why. He'll, he'll tell us. And he'll tell us. In the meantime, you and I were talking about this uh, this Chris Watts case. And I was reminding people that a while back, I, I explained to you how, well, and, and since Paul is a police officer, he knows a little bit about this too, how usually people in the detective line of work can tell a criminal like a mile away just by their body language, how they talk, what they do. All this kind of stuff. They could tell a mile away that someone's guilty as sin. Mm-hmm. This Chris Watts character, who police say confessed to killing his wife and their two daughters, and is is a made quintessential mistakes that murderers make, and that is they're overly precise about mm-hmm. pretty much everything. About the time, and I told people about this case that happened at Covenant Seminary where the woman was killed in the bathroom there. Police honestly believe they had the murderer dead to rights because they asked him to kind of write down everything he was doing. And the only time that he was precise was just happened to be the time that she was murdered. Mm-hmm. So it's out of the blue that he went through this whole operation where it was like, you know, uh, I'm here, there, blah, blah, blah. But at 7.15, I know I was blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. it was like, oh, that's the time she was murdered. So they, they knew that this guy was trying to cover for himself. You listen to this interview with uh, Christopher Watts, and you and I both easily came to the conclusion after watching the interview that this guy was guilty as hell. Oh, it was incredibly obvious. Yes. and did Glaringly it- obvious that he was guilty. Yes. And it's really the story itself is really sad. I mean, I, I realize some of this is, is fascinating, but it's really sad. And just in looking and studying the whole the whole family and everything else, she was clearly she had a new business and she was bubbly and she was vivacious and she was active and energetic and traveling and blah, blah, blah. And this guy, you could tell, was intimidated by his wife and threatened by her. Yes. Right. Like people think that he was that that he might have been having a girlfriend or cheating on her or something mm, like Chris Coleman like Chris Coleman but I don't I don't see that I see this as a resentment thing mhm I, I I see this as a guy who deeply resented the success of his of of his wife mm-hmm. and took it out on the entire family absolutely yeah there are people like that Yes. Which is crazy, especially in marriage. Yeah. You know? Yeah, on both sides. You know, women do it to men, men do it to women. But this guy seems to be, he doesn't seem to, he he doesn't seem to have a lot going on. You could just kind of tell, because you could tell all these pictures and things of their traveling that he was becoming clearly dead weight in that family. Mm -hmm. And that's, this guy's small minded. Criminal, yes. So he didn't have this. I don't think he had all this other stuff going on. I think this was just a hate, a hatred Mm -hmm. thing. Anyway, he was interviewed by this reporter and listen to a little bit of the interview here. 
interviewed this reporter, and, and you're listening to him, and this is a guy who's, whose pregnant wife and two daughters mm-hmm. have been, disappeared. Right. And, he, and by the way, one of the things you'll notice in the interview is he never mentions that his wife is pregnant. Right. Which is bizarre. Right. But if I didn't know any better, this TV reporter interviewing him was brilliant, by the way. Yes. It was, almost like, it was almost like he was an FBI uh-huh. agent. I couldn't believe the questions that would lead him right into Guiltville. Yeah, I know. It was amazing. Yeah. Amazing. It's almost like if I didn't know any better, I, I, like, for instance, the FBI couldn't have extracted this. They probably could have, but would have had to have, you know, he would have had to lawyer up and do all that kind right. of stuff. So this reporter basically did the work. Of the FBI. Yeah. I mean, this, this guy, everything he said it, it was, was a red flag. It was amazing. It's here, listen amazing to this interview. thing. Yeah, here you go. Uh, Chris Watts, W-A-T-T-S. What's going on right now around your house? Right now it's got canine units, the sheriff's department. Everybody's like they're they're doing their best right now to figure out like if they can get a scent see where they went if they went on foot they went in a car they went somewhere and right now it's just like they've they've been on point they're going through the house trying to get a scent and hopefully they can pick something up to where it's it's going to lead to something it's interesting right away he talks about the scent so this is this is less than 24 hours after they've disappeared and he seems to be focused very much on a scent and normally uh, at that point, you really wouldn't be that focused on a scent unless you already kind of know what's going on and where they are. Right. Right? Because, because I, I don't know. I've, I've never had the situation where I've had people disappear and do that kind of thing. But the fact that he was overly focused on the scent as opposed to like maybe she left town or – left with the kids someplace, wanted to get away, did whatever. But the minute he brings up the scent thing, that's that's he's already telegraphing to you that they're dead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, I, it, there's one thing after another go, that, yeah. in this interview. It's... <laughs> I shoot, like, she came home from the airport, 2 a.m., and I left around 5.15. She was still here. And... Like about twelve ten, and yeah. that. So so, you're hearing him five fifteen, twelve ten. He's he's being later on in the interview. He says she got home at one forty eight, and was in bed by two. I mean, really, one forty eight. Mm-hmm. At that point, that's where the, the the cops are looking at these things, and and the, and the police officer detective will look at this and and see clearly that this guy is being way overly detailed, right, about everything. And her friend Nicole showed up at the door. Like I had texted Shannon a few times that day, called her, say you know, but she never got back to me. But she wasn't getting back to any of her people as well, and that's what really concerned a lot of people is like she's not getting back to her like if she doesn't get back to me that's fine like she gets busy during the day but she can get back to her people which was very concerning and nicole called me when she was at the door and that's when i came home and then walked in the house and nothing was vanished nothing was here i mean she wasn't she wasn't here the kids weren't here nope nobody was here so 
he's talking to a TV reporter, and 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 it's weird because the TV people all said that he was uh, pleading for the return of his wife or whatever. There wasn't any pleading going on here at all. If this were if this were to be my family, and I mean, I'm sure you and Andrea talk multiple times a day. You know, I'm sure you see each other in passing at home or whatever. If my family was gone, I would be freaking out. Yes. Freaking out. Well, especially since they're, 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 they're gone and everything, everything, her possessions are still there. Right. Yeah. Paul's wallet and car keys are there. And, you know, and the, the kids are gone and Paul's gone and they're not at a neighbor's house. And I've checked with everybody. I've checked with everybody under the sun and I can't find my family. I'm freaking out at that point. I'm, yeah. in, I'm in panic. Yes. I'm not, well, you know, like, I so texted sometimes, her three like, times. You she know, didn't get back to me. Her people, <laughs> like her people. Yeah. Dummy. She came home at 148, was in bed by two. I was there at 515. I did that. It's like. Oh, and then he's, and he's standing there. He's swaying, swaying. back and swaying. forth. Swaying. Got his uh, oh. arms crossed. This, this was so. I mean, I, I I became kind of obsessed with this yesterday because it was such a textbook case. And the only thing I was thinking to myself is that I thought maybe he just hired somebody or did something, and that might still be the case. And he had somebody helping him because I was trying to figure out how does a guy kill his daughters. Ugh. Like that. I mean, how, how do you kill anybody, your wife or anybody? But but how do you how do you have two daughters? How, how do you do that? Now, if you look on her Facebook page, did you see the Facebook yeah. page? Yep. There was the last post was so weird because it was a doll wrapped up in a blanket. Really? On a couch? I, I don't know that I saw that. Look at it. It's 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 this. It's from August ninth. And it's a three-foot doll. Its feet are sticking out from a – and it's wrapped up in a blanket. What was the, what was the comment with the it was the It was the mom saying, what am I, what do I make of this? Because she's thinking that maybe the, the, the daughters had wrapped this doll. In. It's the oh weirdest damn thing. Wow. 7.30. Oh. See? You're, you're on it. I got to remind myself now. Hold on. Let me see if I can get Jim. Jim's going to be uh, – Trying to get, let me see if I can get him to uh, get Jim to give up his security clearance for me. Let me see if he'll, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll call him right now. Hold on, hold on, Jimmy. Don't give up on me, baby. But yeah, that that interview is crazy. And a lot of us, like, we don't really, I mean, in the Radio Free Almond Nation, we don't normally, like, focus a lot on crime and stuff like that. We don't talk a lot. But this thing, for some reason, just stood out as like the, the prime example of the things I've been talking to you guys about. We have a mutual friend in common. How about murder. that? Who's that? Sh- Shannon Watts and me. We have a mutual friend in common. You do? Uh-huh. Wow. Call Jim. On Skype. Hello. Good morning this morning. Jim Talent, how are you, buddy? Fine, Jamie. How are you doing? I really appreciate you taking the time out. You're what are you are, are you have you are you is this like a big trip or is this just a normal run of the mill Jim Talent no, travel I'm day? I'm driving down to uh Branson. Oh. I'm gonna talk to uh some 
uh, state house Republican legislators about the redistricting proposal that's probably going to be on the ballot uh, this fall, and then I'm coming back tomorrow. So it, uh, the last couple of weeks of August, I'm not traveling. I'm going to have a lot more time. But the last couple of weeks have been pretty busy with trips in various uh, for various reasons. So I'm always glad to talk to you. Those uh, I've done. I have to tell you, and I'm not. I'm not trying to insinuate any nefariousness on the part of these state lawmakers. But back in the day when I was at Channel Four, uh, the uh, <laughs> I spent a lot of time both in Branson and the Ozarks trolling some of these state lawmakers down there on their little forays, you know. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, I sometimes had a little fun with. Uh, expenditures so to speak that is that is since nowadays you know uh there really is a compelling reason sometimes that that they're meeting in these places and and then people are coming down there and a lot of these guys wind up paying for stuff themselves you know oh yeah times have changed regular as a matter of fact i started this uh in when i was the the, uh, republican leader we would meet and it was all you know financed um in a regular way, but you, you have a meeting before the election so you can help candidates and that sort of thing. It's a, uh, uh, it's a training kind of session for people in a planning session. And I'm a big believer in planning, Jamie. I used to do an office retreat when I was in the Congress every year because nobody in Washington plans. That's part, that's part of the big problem. And people kind of look at me when I say that, but it's really true. I mean, there's very little planning done uh, in, uh, you know, in Washington or in government. And if you do, it gives you a little bit of a leg up. Yeah. Last time I was in Branson, I was down there for the, uh, state Republican convention down there. And I went on a search for Yakov Smirnoff's hand because back in the day, you know, Yakov Smirnoff had that, that theater down there. And and, yeah. and and he would and he would it was his head and then he would be waving. He had that fez on, you know. He'd be waving, and I I wondered where the hell that was, like where that hand was. And now it's like some kind of Chinese theater or something. But in the yeah. back, in the back, there what they stored his hand yeah. near the dumpsters there in Yakov Smirnov's face, and I found both of them there behind the behind the theater in the in near the dumpster. Well, and in figuring what we were going to be talking about this morning, uh, I assumed that Yakov Smirnov would be on the agenda, so I'm fully <laughs> I'm sorry. prepared to <laughs> All right, so here's the deal. So this morning, I am griping about the fact that the news media is spending a lot of time listening to people complain about the security clearances that have been pulled when I don't understand why they had them to begin with. Yeah, like Brennan and Susan Rice. Why do they still? Why did they still have security clearances? And also, it was brought to my attention that you might have a security clearance. Oh, I do. Um, I have it because I am on uh, the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission, which is a standing commission created by the Congress when China was allowed into the WTO. And we issue a report every year uh, on the uh, American-Chinese economic and security relationship. Uh, I've done like six of these advisory commissions, Jamie, and uh, this is 
really by far the best. Its reports have become standard reference material for um, for the public and private sector alike on China. And uh, I really enjoy the assignment. Um, a lot of we make recommendations every year. Um, we we we're not working, you know, because we're a standing commission. You don't work with the Trump administration in that sense, but. You interact with them, uh, and a lot of the recommendations we've been pushing over the years are now being implemented. I'm really pleased about it. Okay, so, um, so but, but, but the bottom line is you're, but, but you're basically – you're in the employee yeah, essentially, you, but you are still – but you're still working for the government. I mean you're working on a, right. on a commission that's right. created that's by Congress. That's a good way to put it. Right. Uh, there, there are two reasons. One of them, and, and the lesser reason I think, is, is a matter of um, – you know, just sort of courtesy, keeping former officials read into uh, activities that they may have begun, you know, uh, year in and year out. The other reason is is so that the, the people who are currently in office, if they want to, and I imagine that they do a lot, is just, is just uh, consult informally with people who've been in their position. I mean, if Pompeo wants to talk about some particularly knotty problem uh, with either, you know, a former secretary of state or a CIA director, which he was also, this allows him to do it and to discuss classified information if he wants to do it. Uh, I, it's, it's a good policy, uh, but what it requires is if you want to continue to have the security clearance, you know, you have to be a responsible participant in public affairs. Uh, in other words, you, you, the, the responsibility it imposes on you is not to uh, be overtly or overly partisan in what you write or say uh, in the public square, which I've always tried to observe. Um, in, in other words, I, if you read my columns, I can be pretty critical, but I don't do it in a way that is designed to feed into the politics of the moment, okay, would be the way I would put it. And this is the problem with Brennan. Uh, if you're going to be a pundit, in essence, which is fine if that's what you choose to do, then you know you're not being a uh, a, a less partisan or nonpartisan former public official, you know, who who wants to be part of a, the influencing, you know, quasi scholarly network. Does that make any sense? Yes, it makes absolutely. Um, yes, it makes right. total and sense. You look at somebody like Kissinger. Okay, so Kissinger's been in this informal role for like 40 years. I'm on a different advisory board, Jim Mattis' senior advisory board. It's called the Defense Policy Board. And I'm on it with Kissinger and Madeleine Albright and Rudy DeLeon, who was the Deputy Secretary of Defense under, under Clinton. And, you know, we meet every three or four months, generally do a day or two of looking into a specific issue and then meet with Mattis and talk with him about it for an hour or two. And it's an opportunity for the serving secretaries and deputy secretaries to sort of get a outside point of view on something that they're trying to resolve. And I, you know, I think it's very useful. Um, obviously I do cause I continue to do it. Um, but what this means is that you, you know, if you're going to write something or, or say something in the public square, you, you need to observe, you know, at least roughly the rules that you're, you should reserve when you're in office in the national security space, right? Which is to treat these things not so as political, but as policy things. And, you know, if you don't do that, uh, then, uh, you know, you're not, you're not fulfilling your responsibility, 
uh, that goes with continuing to keep the security clearance. Yeah, because you're, you're plus working. Plus the other issues that have, plus which the other issues that have raised here, Jamie, are that, and I, I reluctantly have come to believe that within the intelligence community, um, th- there were a cabal of people who clearly went outside the bounds. And um, we don't know what Brennan's connection is to that. I haven't studied it, you know, specifically, and I'm not going to make any allegations, but uh, it happened, right? And so that's an extraordinary situation. And I think it it definitely would have bearing on whether you get a security clearance. Well, you're working as an ongoing asset to the United States government as opposed to an ongoing distraction or detractor of – of our current administration. And, and I think, yes. I think there's a, there's a huge dividing line there, as you just pointed out. And I, I think, you know, cause earlier I was more draconian about the whole thing. Cause I was thinking, well, no one who's not currently working for the government ought to have a security clearance. But, but like, for instance, I know you're basically working for the government to a certain degree, but like, for instance, a Kissinger, like, He's working as an asset right now to individuals. It's clear that, that, yeah. that he's working as an asset to individuals. And so I, I, I wouldn't then apply the same standard to, to a guy like Kissinger. Right. These other people, you know, they're clearly just they're, – they're leaking. You know, it just is – it's yeah, terrible. Listen, I, I don't – as I said, I haven't studied it. You know, and again, I try to be fair to individuals, but I don't understand all the uproar. Um, this is a kind of inquiry that should be made when there are questions. I give you an exa- another example. So, uh, I can't, now it's been so long since, but I think it was in 2009. Um, I was asked to co-chair a commission with former Senator Bob Graham of Florida on the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction to terrorists. Okay. So we ended up doing three iterations of that one, uh, two of them, for the government. And one, we just started a, a, a 501c3 called the WMD center and focused on the danger of, of biological weapons to the American people and ended up doing uh, a really extensive report on how prepared we were or are if there is a bio attack against the United States. And um, that has influenced an awful lot that has happened. It's one of the reasons I do this. It's, it's, really an opportunity to affect what's going on in the public square without having, you know, without running for office again. So those kinds of things are happening, particularly in the national security space a lot. The nine 11 commission is an example of that, Jamie. And I think that they're, they're very helpful, but you, you know, there are certain protocols that, that you're called on to follow if you, if you want to play that role. And if you don't, excuse me, if you don't follow them, you can't, you know, you can't complain <laughs> if people don't want to treat you like somebody who does, right? Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So that's, uh, that, that's, I think, what's working here. It's an important distinction. And, you know, one of the failures of the press more broadly, and I've complained about this for years and years, is I don't know whether it's because they don't understand. I think that's, that's it a lot of cases, or they don't understand or they don't want to tell people or both. But they don't really convey a sense of how the government operates and is supposed to operate. In other words, they don't make distinctions that are important if you're trying to understand what's going on. Uh, and 
And so that's what they're doing here. They're treating this like this was just some kind of personal vendetta against Brennan, when actually there's a whole set of, of rules, some formal, some informal, that governs this kind of thing. And there's a real question as to whether he violated them. So, yeah, I mean, I'm look, I agree with you. I don't, I don't understand this uproar, or at least I don't understand why it, it, it why people who have questions can't do it in a, in a, in a way that brings to light these, these real distinctions. Yeah. I, I, you know, I was poised to strip you of your security clearance and, uh, I, and now you have made a compelling argument for, for that. I'm no, I mean, I'm serious. I, I, think, <laughs> I mean, look, it's, uh, here's the truth of it is, is it, about nine. When you do these things, about 95% of what you do is in the open source world. I mean, I, uh, in fact, I've been on these commissions where people have not yet gotten their clearances because it can take a long time. And what it means is that there are certain classified settings where they have to sit out of the meeting, but it doesn't really affect very much of what they do very often. I mean, it can be a hindrance. It depends on what you're doing. Um, most of what we do in the China commission is open source stuff. I mean, you don't, you don't, yeah, I don't, you don't need uh, the you know signals intel to figure out what Xi Jinping is doing, right? <laughs> yeah. a whole lot of really good commentators and and scholars in this field who don't have a security clearance who get it right all the time. Yeah, that's so. Interesting. This is not a, a huge threat. I just don't. I mean, it was if 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 uh, in fact mine's getting renewed right now, and <clears throat> when it's being renewed, you. You know, you, you go on the old one for a while, but you never know how long they're going to take, too. So it's possible you could lose it for a while. It's it's not that big a constraint if you do. Yeah. Well, and it's certainly not if you do a stripping of your First Amendment rights. I mean, it's interesting to hear Brennan no. go on television I mean, <laughs> talking about his First Amendment rights being violated when, he, when apparently by the very nature that he's talking on TV, his First Amendment rights aren't being violated. Yeah, and look, you don't. If somebody has decided that they're going to, you know, be a, a pretty relentless, um, you know, advocate for you know, a partisan sort of interest, which again is, you know, it's that's fine if that's what you choose to do. Uh, there are security risks that are inherent in that, and um, so you, you know, you do have to look at this sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I just, you know, the the thing is, suppose. The uh, a member of the Armed Services Committee wanted to talk, was struggling with some issue relating to the new uh, frigate, missile frigate, and uh, it involved some information that might be classified, you know, about the range of the missiles or something like that. And they wanted to call somebody like me up and just ask, you know, what do you think? How should I handle this, et cetera? It's easier if you have a security clearance because if they want to talk, actually, if, if they're going to call you, you probably want to do it in person and in a secure setting. If they want to, if they want to refer to classified information, you can do it without them having to sit, sit there and think, now, wait a minute. Um, if I'm going to ask this question, I have to do it in a way that doesn't get into a, into classified material. So what is the China commission when you guys talk about, cause I just saw a report about, uh, from an, an organization telling me that, the tariffs have so far created 11,000 manufacturing jobs in this country. And then there's also another deal where President Trump had said that this country was built on tariffs. Now, when you all meet, like with the China Commission, and, and you guys talk about these 
trade issues and security issues and that kind of thing. What's the general verdict on tariffs, at least coming from your point of view? Well, let me describe it a little bit. We do like a half a dozen hearings a year that are public on different subjects relating to the American-Chinese relationship. So we'll do one on the Chinese research and development of advanced weaponry or China's uh, techno-nationalism toolbox. In fact, I'd encourage people, uh, the website's uscc.gov, okay, uscc.gov, and we issue a report every year. And I encourage them to, or just to Google uh, the China Commission's um, techno-nationalism toolbox, China's techno-nationalism toolbox, all the ways in which the Chinese government attempts to loot technology around the world, capture markets, uh, evade the rules of the word world trading system, discriminate against foreign companies, subsidize their domestic companies enormously. I mean, it is a systematic national attempt to e- evade their obligations, uh, ad- advance their economy at the, um, you know, at the expense of, of others, uh, um, get technology that other companies or other countries have developed. It's very widespread, and we've been reporting on it for years and recommending a number of, uh, of very strong sort of countermeasures. Now, I can't speak for the commission, although I think I know what they would say, but I did write a column with a Democratic commission member. All these are thoroughly bipartisan and almost always unanimous, our reports in which we said it is past time for somebody to be doing what the Trump administration is doing. Uh, now, you know, you, you don't, it's not just the tariffs. There's a number of things that you do. They're, they're moving very aggressively in the World Trade Organization to, to hold China accountable for what it's been doing. And as I said, I think it's long overdue. Now, when you get into a field like this, when you haven't done it before, uh, you know, you, you, you move out. You do the best you can initially. You refine it over time, and that's what they're doing. And I, again, I'm I'm very pleased. We recommended, for example, we were very concerned about uh, China's investments in the United States, which are strategically designed to control certain areas, certain technologies, certain industries. Right? You know, energy, anything related to defense. Um, there's a whole lot of that, and and uh, we strongly recommended that Congress strengthen. Uh, the rules for uh, deciding whether to allow them to make these investments, and they just passed legislation doing that in the defense bill. So that's the kind of thing that we do. Um, and I, it's a, the staff is very, um, uh, very knowledgeable, scholarly, and I, I, I really, um, and I'm not trying to to blow my own horn here because they've been doing very good work for long before I went on that commission. So generally, though, then. You support these tariffs or these trade yes, policies, yes. okay? What? Well, yes, I do uh, personally. Again, I, I have to be careful. Remember, I said before about rules you're supposed to follow yeah, when you do yeah. these sorts of things. I can't. I can't speak for the. My views are my own. When I write something about China, I and and the, and the, and whoever posts it says I'm on the China Commission. I'm supposed to say, and I do. That my views are my own. Okay. But if you read the reports, I mean, there's no question that, that um, you know, a lot that the commission has been warning people about this for years. I mean, uh, long before I went on it, and, um, and people are sort of catching up now. 
So the answer is yes. Now, I think when you get into the the use of the tariffs for more general economic policy, uh, like the tariffs against the Canadians and some of the Europeans, um, I'm open-minded to that. Uh, I want to see how they, you know, refine it and mature it over time. But we definitely need, need I mean, the Chinese are, are engaged in a national competition against the United States, and we have not been competing, you know? Yeah. So you're going to lose if you don't compete, Jamie. Yeah. And that's, it's not just economically. There are very significant national security uh, interests involved in this. Um, oh, my gosh, I've been writing about China for years and years. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased that they've gotten active. Um, uh, and I, you know, I, I just I want to see it continue. Yeah, it's interesting because because and even now then, uh, and I don't know whether how familiar you are since you are focusing so much on China and the trade and security issues there. What about NAFTA? Because right now it appears that Mexican officials are in D.C. They're meeting with the, the Trump administration trade guys. And there's a good chance that by the next new Congress, they could be voting on a revised NAFTA. Are you uh, – You know, they could be. I don't J- – Jamie, I just don't know much about that. Yeah. Now, what I will say generally speaking is that – and this I think we lost sight of. For some time now, I did not vote for NAFTA in 1993 when it passed. Okay, but I think generally speaking, we, people in Washington lost sight of the fact that when you do these trade agreements, there there are typically winners and losers. I mean, everybody wants to treat these things as either everybody wins or everybody loses. And I think a problem was over the years, uh, certain segments of our economy were pretty typically losers, and and not enough attention was paid to it. Okay, certain segments of the manufacturing economy. And so, you know, the idea that we're going to to re- renegotiate these things, to try and rebalance that, to get what the president calls a better deal for the United States, I'm very open to that. But I, I just think we have to judge it based on the outcome, right? I mean, yeah. you know, how good a job do they do? I, I don't have a problem with them uh, with them op- reopening it and, and, and renegotiating it. Let's see whether we get a better deal, right? And I, I, I don't know enough about it to know how likely yeah. that is. Well, we'll see, but it, but at least it's happening. You know, I mean, it's it's so interesting to read and, and see all the the adults in our country and, and the work that they're doing because, boy, you turn on the TV, and if it's not Brennan bitching about something, it's, uh, it's Omarosa and whether or not President Trump said the N-word. And it's like, boy, if you just – you really need to do some digging – uh, outside of the news media to, to, to learn about all the, the hard work oh, that people yeah. are doing behind the scenes to make this yeah, a better the, country. The, the trade rep- yeah, the Trade Representative's Office, the Commerce Department, on the White House staff, they've been preparing this you know, for the better part of a year and working on it, uh, in fact, over a year. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, I, th- I think there's another insight that Trump has that's important. Okay, so we're the biggest domestic market in the world, right? Which means that we have a lot of leverage in these trade negotiations. And um, there's a real question whether we've been using them. I've been saying for years, long before Trump uh, came on the scene, that my sense of it, although this was, you know, trade was not an issue I got heavily into, is that when we go to these, uh, you know, trade negotiations, the other countries are negotiating to get the best deal they can for their economies, and we are pursuing neutral principles of free trade, right? So, 
you know, if that's what's happening, then it does suggest we're probably going to get agreements where the other countries get to keep their protections and we give up ours. Right. Yeah. Now, there are people who are dis- very knowledgeable in this field who would disagree with that. And, uh, you know, fair enough. But why we can't have these discussions, particularly on a subject like this, which, you know, it's it's they're, they're trade agreements. I mean, they're very important. But, but why do we have to turn them into, you know, uh, these kind of personal attacks and exchanges, I, I, which they're levying against the administration? I, I yeah. You know, well, I know why. Right. Because right. we've all. So uh, let's see what happens. Let's see the deal that is negotiated. Um, I, you know, I, I, we've had a good response from, I mean, they've had real progress with the South Koreans, uh, with the Europeans, uh, with the Japanese. Why aren't the Japanese taking more of our cars? I don't I mean, know. You know. We take their cars. Now, I'm, I'm pleased the Japanese have invested. They've invested in Missouri. All that's great. They're a, a fantastic ally. Um, the American-Japanese relationship is the linchpin of our of our position in the in the Western Pacific. But you know, they they I remember doing press conferences asked you know when I was pushing because the South Koreans weren't taking our beef. You know, Where's the beef? Take American beef, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I was over in Rome where uh, motorcycles outnumber people and cars, and I was thinking, why don't I see any Harleys over here? Uh, they make a mm-hmm. great street bike, you know, and everything else. So all those questions are, are good ones. I don't know why you why aren't you on TV more? I'd rather watch you than these other goofballs out there. You know, Jamie, uh, I the 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 area that I'm most interested in, as you know, is military preparedness. Yeah. You know, w- what are the defense budgets? What are we spending on? Are we ready? Are we capable right now of decisively deterring? Uh, potential aggression against America or Americans, America's interests around the world, which is a, a kind of a narrow subject that these programs don't get into very often. Yeah, That's right. one reason. You know, another reason is I, you know, I'm doing a lot of different things and they tend to, you know, when they call, they tend to want you to drop everything to go on. Right. It's not like you where I can sort of set up a time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, and that's harder for me. So, and then since I'm no longer in elective politics, it's not like I feel like, I, you know, I need to do this to keep my face before the voters, right? right? Well, I'd, I'd so vote for you for, for president, man. I, I, I always feel so much smarter after I talk to you about this stuff, <laughs> you know? It's yeah, it's, I, don't know how good a, I don't know how good a podcast it makes, whether your listeners are interested in it, but uh, well, you know, I'll tell you what I think. Yeah, but you know what I was saying too, and I, I know you got to get going here. And, and and but but what I was saying is that this kind of stuff is maybe not you know uh, sexy to some people, but the reality is this is the kind of stuff that affects more people than some secret Amorosa tape. And so yeah, that's oh, absolutely, why it's so important, and and that's why we love having you on. So well, have fun down there in Branson, and if you if you drive in. And you're going you're gonna to pass a big Chinese theater. If you drive up that little service road there, you'll be able to see Yakov Smirnov's hand in the back of the dumpster. Well, if I if I do, and I'm pretty much going to drive down and drive back, so okay. I don't know how much time I'm going to have. But if I do, I'll be certain to uh, to take a picture of it and memorialize it for my uh, you know my uh, my chest of memories. Last time I went down to Branson, I got not one but two speeding tickets. I got one on the way down and one on the way back home. 
Oh, so you got it on the highway on the way down. Yeah, yeah. Because I was going to say, it depends on when it was. They really fixed a lot of the traffic problems. But there was a time when you couldn't get a speeding ticket in Branson because you, you couldn't get around. But. <laughs> no, I was – I well, I – I managed, so I was right. And it's that road on in. I was like hauling some rear in there, but oh well, didn't learn. I will either. remember. Okay, be careful. Thanks, Jamie. All right, buddy. It's uh, Jim Talent. I mean, isn't he cool? Absolutely, he's Ooh. awesome. I mean, I love I, listening to him. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, he, he makes so much sense. Yep. You know, and about the security clearance thing, I was about to unilaterally strip him of his, but, but he made a good compelling case, yes. not only for security clearances for him, who he's actually in ongoing service right. to the country. Mm-hmm. Brennan is not, was not an ongoing service to the country. He was ongoing disservice to the country. But, you know, even like a guy like Henry Kissinger, I could see why, you know, he would have one. Uh, I mean, for that matter, you know, I haven't seen like like Susan Rice, for instance, hasn't been like actively out there attacking the president. And if she was, uh, that would be maybe maybe she's being helpful to some people. I don't know, but uh, I, the fact that the, the mere fact that she was one of the many um, liars out there about, about Benghazi and everything else ought to ought to render her <laughs> clearanceless less in the beginning, you know. So, I'm disappointed in our uh, Admiral McRaven. Yeah, what's that all about? Just criticizing Trump, and it just it just kind of shocks me. Yeah, and usually the, usually there aren't too many people who are in the uh, armed services who are you know kind of coming out uh, and right. saying stuff. I mean, I, I think there is one. I, I, well, I, no, I, to, to my knowledge, I haven't seen. I haven't. That's probably one of the first times I've ever seen a situation like that. We'll talk about that on the on the other side of this break. You want you want to hear some more Sean James? Did you hear any of that earlier when I played him? Yeah, a little bit. Some Fayetteville, Arkansas. Was that the uh, Midnight? What was the name of it? Pardon me. What was the name of it? Midnight. The song that you played when I was driving here wasn't it called Midnight Something or maybe yeah. Midnight Something Dove or I don't know. Yeah. Midnight Dove. Midnight Dove is what that was called. Was it? Yeah. This is a cover of uh, a Bill Withers tune. You want to listen to it? Yeah. Okay. There's a video of him. I couldn't find it, though, Matt, but this, uh, this is a different one. But there's a video of him actually doing that cover right in this studio. Wow. This is a good-looking studio here. Really Matt is. shot it. It was really good. And you can see all these speakers behind him and stuff. So... No sunshine when she's gone. It's not warm when she's away. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. She's always gone too long. Anytime she goes away. Fayetteville, Arkansas. He's amazing. I know. Oh. This time where She's gone. I wonder if she is going to stay. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone in this house. It ain't long. Anytime she goes away, he's playing that tambourine with his foot. Really? I know, 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 I
Foot is playing the tambourine, little tambourine. And the drum beat you're hearing is his right foot, where he's got like a little drummy thing there, drum pedal. Shut up, Jamie. <laughs> guarantee you there's no other place but Radio Free Almond where you're going to hear us geek out on trade and then two minutes later you're hearing a brand new artist who is right here in the studio at one time and part of the Gaslight Sessions operation. Is he, and he's also on the Gaslight label, is that correct or is that – no, okay – Matt's like, no, 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 no. But anyway, but either way, Matt, come in here and explain this whole Sean James thing to me, will you, please? Because I, I because the, the 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 fact that we're kind of hooked up with Gaslight is pretty cool here. And the, I, the Bernie sisters are on the Gaslight label, correct? Yeah. Okay. So what is where does how did how did we Sorry. run across uh, Sean James? Then uh, he was brought to us by our friends, the Manus Brothers, and uh, they went on tour with him in Europe. And uh, he came through last year and uh, did a set with us. Uh, and he did a song called Through the Valley, which yeah. was uh, it's the theme song for The Last of Us 2 coming out on PS4. Wow. And so that's sitting at like 704,000 views or something like Dog. that. Dog. So, yeah, and then we became friends after he came through, and he came back this spring, and uh, that's what you got. We, we got another four-pack from him. So Wow, cool yeah, guy. Good stuff. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Appreciate that. You like this, Gia. He does the uh, – I'm going to talk over this a little bit but because this is a – Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're out in high labor. Shot down in May, but I know I'm gonna chase that tune when I'm back on top, back on top in June. That's life, and it's funny as it may seem. Some people get their kicks. Stomping on a dream But I don't let them get 
Cause this final word It keeps me spinning round Well, I've been a puppet A pauper, a pirate, a poet A pawn and a king I've been up and down And over and loud and loud I find myself flat on my face. I just pick myself up and get back in the race. Take some guts, man, to do a yeah. Frank Sinatra <laughs> cover. Big time. It, it, it adds an entirely brand new dimension to this song. He's yeah. fierce. Frank Sinatra would be proud. Proud. I mean, that's uh, that's that's an appreciation for that song. You don't even realize totally. how great a song it is. I mean, what Sinatra does it, it's great, but you don't realize it's really a great song. So check this out. Thank you to my friends over at Golden Oak Lending. It was, this was really a big deal. Yesterday, when I basically put a bow on Golden Oak Lending and its support of Radio Free Almond, James Hawkins and Sean Curtis, Ben Turek, thank you very much uh, for your support of Radio Free Almond. This is a big deal because everybody who's supporting Radio Free Almond, I, I appreciate. Golden Oak is just another example of. First of all, it's one of the three major lending companies in the United States. But the benefit is that they're local. So there are two other ones who do stuff, but they're they're mostly cookie-cutter people. They're, you go there, and they don't know you from Adam, and you could be from Fayetteville, Arkansas, or St. Louis. They wouldn't tell one way or the other. But the Golden Oak Lending guys... They know the community, and they, they'll, they know when you tell them where you live or where you want to buy a home or what you're doing, they know where you live. They've been there, done that, know everything about working with St. Louisans. And so you're working not only with a premier company that has a reputation around the globe practically, uh, along with the other, other guys, but they're local here in St. Louis. And so that kind of reputation, uh, that kind of strength, the fact that they have 24-7 help for you, no matter what. You could you could get online at 2 o'clock in the morning, and, and you're going to be able to find out uh, what you need to do to go ahead and uh, get yourself uh, put together in terms of a home loan or uh, refi or whatever. And so it's a prestigious deal to have Golden Oak Lending supporting the show. That's awesome. I really appreciate these guys. And uh, James and Sean, thanks. I put the picture up there. and. I got to the Golden Oak Lending offices there in Westport yesterday, and James is in this three-piece suit looking great, dapper, you know. Sean's in a tie, and I'm sitting there in my my mustard-colored <laughs> pants and shirt. And At least I wore shoes, you know. I didn't, have my, I didn't have my hat on. Flip-flops? No, I had shoes. Oh, you had shoes Yeah, on. real shoes. And. Wow. I got there, and of course they were really cool. I was, I, I, I did, I didn't. I was thank, thanking the Lord I didn't come dressed like a bum. <laughs> so, but I didn't come dressed with a tie either. And one of the things about Golden Oak Landing is they say, you know, we a lot of what we do, it's about 
appearance and approach and about personal service, but also about respect. And so they said, we, everybody who works at Golden Oak Lending, they have a, if they're guys, they have a suit and tie on. And the, the ladies all are dressed well too. And they said, that's a big, that's a, you know, because to them, you know, first impressions are key. And I'm thinking, I've I've met Sean before, but I'm like, okay, well, good. I hope this is a pretty good impression, guys. And anyway, no, they they are longtime fans of of the the Common Sense Radio product anyway. But the fact that they're part of the support of Radio Free Almond is really cool. And I'm really proud to introduce them as a brand new sponsor of the Radio Free Almond show. And so on September, we're going to kind of formally get the ball rolling once uh, Radio Free Almond 2.0 starts. But in the meantime, goldenoaklending.com is the website. And I encourage you, if you do, if you can, either call them and thank them for supporting the show because they're the reason why Radio Free Almond stays on and free conservative radio is it's free. So thank them for that. And if you do wind up using them, please tell them you heard about them from me. That would be great. And thanks to Tracy Ellis and Rick Ellis, they introduced me to the Golden Oak Lending guys because they work with Tracy Ellis yep. as, uh, and the Tracy Ellis team, TracyEllis.com. And, of course, you all know I'm working with them as well, and I can explain that a little later on. But uh, thank you, Tracy Ellis, for the introduction. But they're, they're good guys. And then, of course, you know the jingle, right? The Golden Oak oh, yeah. Landing Cured by Blues. And, mm-hmm. But but they really are, you know, that that's the jingle essentially. And uh, but but they are such a well put together and and thorough company. And I'm really proud to have that uh, Golden Oak Landing name uh, with the Radio Free Almond products. So pretty cool. So tell me about Admiral McCready. What's what what is he? Why is he coming out? And attacking President Trump in the first place. What, what, what is this all about? And, 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 you know, it's so disheartening after talking to guys like Jim Talent uh, and others because we, we have to, to – the, the, the serious business, the serious work that's being done behind all this garbage we're talking about all the time. You know, you've you got you, – you've, Yesterday, I, I turn on the TV and they are comparing President Trump to Nixon because he's you know, in his enemies list because they're taking his security clearance away. Or they're bitching about his treatment of the media. The Los Angeles Times comes out yesterday with some big editorial about how it's a dangerous thing for you. To, and then all these, meanwhile, normal, average, everyday Americans are just trying to get get on with their lives and they're taking their kids to school and they're going to work and they're doing this and this and this and and this is the respect they get the news media obsessing over these small little things because they can't stand the president they didn't vote for him and that's why we and, and that's what we're getting from these guys nothing constructive at all right no he uh he basically said if you're going to revoke Brennan's clearance, then go ahead and revoke mine because I think he's an upstanding individual and a wonderful servant. And um, um, you can add my name to the list of people that are speaking out against you. And you're not a good leader. And you've embarrassed, you know, uh, us on a public stage. And you know, it, he just goes on and on. Tells him that he's uh, good. I hope that I hope President Trump if you, obliges. If you think for a moment that your McCarthy era tactics will suppress the voices of criticism, you are sadly mistaken. I mean, that's over the top. Yeah. What an a hole. Seriously, sure, I mean, uh, you know, I'm so upset. Yeah, 
Because you know, I obsess. I am obsessed with his "Make Your Bed." I loved his speech. I love his book. I mean, I, I just I don't know. It made me made me sad. Well, I mean, I, not that I can't still like. That. It's, it's but it's but, over the top. I mean, you know that this whole thing where you know to compare this to Nixon or even to and, and it's and it's, deme- it's demeaning to the uh, to the to, to call it McCarthyism right. is it, it's almost like you, you might why don't you just call it the Holocaust? Right. I mean, you know, I mean because it's so demeaning to really what McCarthyism was all about uh, and 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 how that operated. These are people. Brennan is a traitor. Brennan is a prostitute for the left who goes on MSNBC and NBC and undercuts the commander-in-chief every step he gets. And part of what he does is he also has access to secrets that he winds up leaking. And, and, and in fact, he was the one who oversaw the illegal spying on the Senate Intelligence Committee back in 2014. This guy – is a destructive force in our government and should be punished. And I'm glad that President Trump did that. Now, McCready, you know, all these guys, I, I mean, listen, I, I know, I, I heard his speech too, and they make your, I get it. But, but that doesn't mean he's right about this. No, not at all. He's not. It, it's, it's, it's upsetting to me. And, 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 and that's what, and like, we, and then we have Bob Corker. From Tennessee, these guys, you know, the usual, it's so predictable. The usual suspects come out and they, and, and of course, Bob Corker is going to attack President Trump because these guys all, they're, they're all such part of the swamp that the minute that, that something happens to one of their fellow frogs, they're all out there burping and brr, brr, brr. <laughs> everybody goes loony because one of their little frogs got poked. They're fellow frogs. Listen to Bob Corker talk about this. Talk about over the top. Banana rub republic kind of thing. There's been a continual sort of tearing down of institutions. Yeah. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, Bob Corker is supposed to be like an intelligent U.S. senator, and he's yeah, it's kind of like a banana republic kind of thing. Like, what do you mean by that? Because to me, the idea that all these individuals out there who don't work for the government, who have security clearances just because, like, it's a little perk of leaving service, right. is that's, that's banana republic. Uh-huh. When you have all these people who have nothing to do, really, with government, as, as, as Jim Talent explained, there are individuals who actually are constructively serving other aspects of government in the current administration, like, for instance, Henry Kissinger. He still has a security clearance. That doesn't surprise me. And, you know, for that matter, it doesn't necessarily surprise me that maybe uh, Susan Rice has one. But, but the reality is, though, she was among the individuals who were uh, illegally, in my opinion, spying on the Trump administration, part of this whole Russia collusion thing. And these people wound up, in my opinion, you – abusing their clearance for political purposes and should be punished. Why Bob Corker is coming out and, and, and flaming President Trump for, in my opinion, doing the right thing. And you know what? Even if it is for retribution, I say the more revenge, the better on these people who are undercutting the president and, for that matter, undercutting our country. I say the more the better, but Corker's like, yeah, this is uh, causing Americans to lose faith in institutions instead I mean, 
causing Americans to lose faith in institutions. Americans have already lost faith in institutions. It's why President Trump was elected president because we lost faith in the Bob Corkers of the world and the institutions. So these guys who come out and and talk about the media being this institution you shall not criticize and and the and, and these and these all these spooks like Brennan and Clapper and those guys being institution and and then then you talked about like the FBI guys and every time you know, there's any criticism of them they're like they risked their lives remember when the uh, the the 17 or whatever intelligence agencies or had their report and president Trump was like, Oh, come on. And then he got, had to be lectured by people who were saying, well, these people have risked their lives around the world to her. How dare you criticize these? And like, no, they didn't. That's the kind of stuff that we get from uh, the swamp. In the meantime, too, Jim Acosta um, is, is is now back in the in the in the mix and at CNN where they have basically took taken it upon themselves to campaign uh, against the president every step of the way and what happened is there was about 350 newspapers all throughout uh the day yesterday who all kind of colluded themselves in 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 editorials that were bashing the president and his view of uh, of of the press and so 350 newspapers decided they were all going to get together from the Dallas Morning News to the Bangor Daily News there in Maine where they uh, the Boston Globe was the first one to do it where they said why don't we all at the same time by the way these are people who they don't realize how this comes across. Like we've always suspected that the media is a cabal, that they all work together mm-hmm. and, and, and that they all have this agenda, right? So what do they do in response to criticism of their cabal and their agenda? They act like a, a cabal with an agenda. <laughs> 350 of them decide they're going to do the exact same thing on the exact same day, reaffirming our suspicions that that's pretty much what they do every day with the anti-Trump news. Uh-huh. <laughs> These guys have no idea how this how this comes across, and it and it's kind of like, uh, do you all not get that this is part of the problem that you guys all? And when it's pointed out, Jim Acosta, then of course. Uh, says, well, this this really isn't, you know, confirming that everybody bands together and blah, blah, blah. This is him on, on CNN. Let me ask you this, uh, Ron Bronson and David, if you want to uh, chime in. This is a very important issue that's near and dear to our hearts here at CNN. More than 300 newspapers across the country Ooh. banded together today in support of the free press. Uh, there are some of the headlines on screen uh, right there. Uh- Let me ask you, by the way, has... There have been one example where the freedom of the press has been infringed in this country. One example. Other than Jim Acosta being yelled at that CNN sucks. And that's that's not even an infringement on the freedom of the press. No. I mean, I do know that if I go around to third world countries, I do know I can give you example after example 
of reporters being killed because they're doing investigative work on the cartel or over in Russia or those kind of things. But for these coddled little babies and all these newspapers and television networks to act as if they're somehow under threat while at the same time ignoring the person who gets their head beaten in by a bike lock carrying Antifa member simply because they might support President Trump – those are the people who are in danger. To my knowledge, the only people actually who are who are being physically attacked in this country and being limited in their movements are people who support President Trump, not the Los Angeles Times. Here he goes. You know, we don't want to navel gaze too much here, but obviously, you know, our job is to hold this administration, every administration accountable. But the president responded on a day such as this with this tweet. The fake news media, the opposition <laughs> party is very bad for our great country uh, but we are winning. Uh, yeah, it the- is. Yeah. What's wrong with what's wrong with that? <laughs> I, have, I mean, it, it is bad for the country. I mean, when, when you're when you are a, a news media that will take a full month to devote your resources to a porn star's <laughs> activities back in the day with President Trump, or yesterday as I played you. With Brian Williams, when 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 he and the Washington Post got together and decided they were going to do an investigation in the wake of the president calling Amarosa a dog, uh-huh. and then you heard them. Does this president really <laughs> physically not like dogs? Uh, that's right, Brian. He's actually the first president in more than a hundred years who's not had a dog. Okay. So, so uh, uh, is Jim Acosta talking about these individuals who are uh, – because I know the president's exactly talking about this kind of stuff. This is a uh, segment on MSNBC where you have an anchor in Brian Williams and a reporter from the Washington Post both talking about the president and whether or not he likes dogs. It's hysterical. I mean, it's hilarious. What, People actually watch this. Yeah. <laughs> what more evidence do you need that the media is an enemy of the truth and of seriousness and of this administration and of this country? What more? What more do you need? Or, the, or how about how about on CNN where you have the uh, the ten member panel all talking about? President Trump using the N word when there's not a shred of proof that he's he's used it. Yes, this tape. Where's the tape? Right, they, where's but, the tape? Apparently, you don't even need the tape. No, you can for say anything to, you want. Yeah, and there does not have to be any proof or documentation. But just because they said it, it's true. Yeah, you don't even you don't even need the no. tape to do that. He goes, I mean, I played it yesterday. Uh, As a pet in the White House, he has lived with a dog before when he first got married to his first wife, Ivana. Uh, She brought with her a poodle. Uh, This guy's with, he's with the Washington Post. He's a reporter with the Washington Post. Oh my gosh. He resisted the dog. He didn't want to have anything to do with the poodle, but she said, the poodle's coming along. Chappie's coming along. Turns out Chappie didn't like Trump very much because whenever Trump would come near Ivana's closet, Chappie would bark at him territorially. uh, now, now I'm going to demean myself by actually breaking down that sentence and giving it some degree of credibility because I'm going to say, all right, so 
You just said that the dog barked territorially. But before that, you said the dog didn't like President Trump. So which is it? Is it the fact that the dog was being territorial or that the dog didn't like President Trump? Because how do you say the dog didn't like President Trump and then follow that with the dog was barking because he was being territorial? That's not dislike. That's being territorial, right? Right. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, mean, I, know, I'm, I know this is ridiculous that I'm even talking <laughs> about this. But, but really, if you, want, if you want to break it all down – I could even – even when he's distorting the, 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 the whole truth about President Trump and dogs, he doesn't even get it right then because either a dog is being territorial or the dog doesn't like President Trump. It can't be both, correct? <laughs> right. I'm sorry. It is funny. It's, ri- it's ridiculous. Ivana writes about this in her memoir that came out a few months ago. We love <laughs> – an extensive web search that took us at least a few minutes and we could only find one photo extant in all the land of Donald Trump yeah, with a dog. Yes, but it- Are you serious? <laughs> is, is this the media that deserves protection from President Trump and his criticism? Is this the media that is part of our esteemed you know, fourth estate and part of our... Uh, uh, the 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 uh, an institution, so to speak, is is this the media that Jim Acosta is talking about? And 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 there's example after example. I mean, Jim Acosta himself, when he's out there, he's he's screaming and yelling these questions when he knows, for instance, the president can't even hear him, but he's doing it for a camera. Americans all know this, and they they, they all kind of see behind all of this. It's all starting to make sense now why Dana Perino's a never-Trumper. <laughs> it's the dog issue. Yeah, it's that <laughs> dumb dog Jasper issue. Deadly serious what he does uh, with that word. Uh- yeah, so then they get into the whole dog. I, I played it for you yesterday, but, but I can – I'm gonna, <laughs> remind me to, to – I need to make sure I save this, flag this, make this a permanent fixture. For sure. Every time – there is a media person like Acosta or anybody else defending the media and saying that this is something that we shouldn't be uh, doing and criticizing them. I'm just going to keep – I'm just going to play that thing in a loop the whole time. <laughs> Back to this murder thing you yeah. and I were talking about. What so, time is it? Hold on, hold on, hold on. 8.30 on the dot. Well, Doug isn't, isn't, isn't available. Let me see something here. He's not? No. Uh, let me see if he, if he if he got back to me on it. He he said he said he's in a breakfast meeting. Hell has a breakfast meeting. Who eats who? <laughs> That's so not Doug Giles. I know breakfast a meeting. breakfast meeting. Wow, we're gonna have to make fun of him for that. Little bitch. I'm gonna go. I'm just, <laughs> I just t- type it. Little bitch having a breakfast meeting. Okay, no, I'm not gonna really not say that. Have you seen his picture? His painting of Raquel Welsh? Not yet. Mm mm. It's pretty amazing. I don't know why he chose to paint Raquel Welch, but he did. And it's a, it's pretty good. If you go to ClashDaily.com, uh, you can see it. So anyway, uh, I don't know whether there's anything fresh in, in relation to this horrible murder in Colorado. But you, you need to look at the tape of this guy being interviewed by this reporter, and you can see it from a, a mile away that this guy's guilty as sin. He wound up, according to police at least, confessing to it. 
uh, on how how a guy could do something like that to his babies and to his wife. When he talks about me. his daughters too, the one clearly just did him in. The one that was rambunctious and she was a handful. And although she was always jumping around and jumping off of things, and I mean, he was like he was irritated by her when he was describing her. And the other one, totally different, just like me, way more. Um, you know, kind of relaxed and laid back. I was like, you're disgusting. Yeah. I can't even listen to you right Ugh. Well, and, and part of the whole interview where he was talking about like how he needed them and to, to, he wanted to tell them, you know, to have to watch, when they're watching TV and sitting in their chair. And it's like, um, by the way, he got, first of all, it's a guy who's clearly speaking like he knows they're dead. Yeah. Now, what I found, if there's anything to be find amusing, I always wind up finding criticism in some of the news reports. And this is a WRAL, uh, a reporter who is doing the story, and she decides, like you, know, like you and I can look at this videotape and this interview and come to the direct conclusion that this guy is good for everything that he's accused of, of doing, and, and he and 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 the. And he's, he, these guys are a dime a dozen. You look at Chris Coleman over there in Columbia. It's always these guys who, you know, their wives are like basically running circles around them in their uh, in in their energies, in their interests, and everything else. And they're just kind of sitting back, lumps on a log. And oftentimes, the mistake there's this mistaken impression that somehow these guys are just simply quiet sages but the fact of the matter is they're usually dumb as a stump and they don't have anything to say and they're hugely envious of their wives you know what i mean and i think that's what this is all about i don't think the guy has some side deal or some is cheating on or anything else i think this is a clearly just a resentment thing you know what i mean oh yeah so anyway this reporter decides she's going to sit down with the interview and talk we hope you never have eight. foundation problems well, but is, if you do Put your faith in Carolina Foundation Solutions. You get our guarantee for the life of your home. Call Carolina Foundation Solutions for your free consultation today. I'm going to call the crack team. I'm going to call Carolina Foundation. Before his arrest, Chris Watts spoke to the media begging for the safe return of his pregnant wife and daughter. By the way, he wasn't begging for the safe return of his pregnant wife and daughter. And it actually didn't even mention that she was pregnant pregnant in the entire interview. Today, WREL's Candace Sweat watched that interview with a neuropsychologist who had some very interesting things to point out about Watts' behavior. She's here now with that piece of the story. Candace? You didn't even have to go to a neuropsychologist to determine what right. that you was and I all were, about. We were neuropsychologists <laughs> last night. I know. She Catherine, his... Dr. Condor says it's not unusual for people man. to make assumptions when watching an interview like the one with Chris Watts. And if you're an expert, those observations and nuances actually do mean something. It's the interview that took place just some 24 hours before Chris Watts was charged with the murder of his wife and children. I've never seen something like this in my lifetime. Thousands have watched that interview, including Dr. Robert Condor, a neuropsychologist who's worked 14 capital murder cases, analyzing people accused of the most egregious crimes. I'm interested in the criminal mind 
and we're trying to figure out why people do violent things. Together, we watched the uncut interview. Dr. Condor taking note of every inflection, movement, even skin tone to make an assessment. I'm looking for how he presents himself, what his face looks like. You would, you would imagine that a husband who doesn't know where his wife and two little girls are would be ashen-faced. So what did he observe about Watts, and what does it mean, the crossed arms, the rocking? It's like he's cradling himself, he's trying to soothe himself a little bit, and the rocking comes from soothing, it comes from infancy. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty good observation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, we, you picked up on that right, right away. away. Babies rock and hold themselves to feel better. He's trying to make himself feel better in this situation. And his choice of words. It's really stilted and sort of intellectualized. He's, he's what we call isolation affect. He's cutting off his feelings and, and using these fancy words. Even I mean, the I would, I would, I would, I, would inoc- I said that too last night. I said flat affect. Nothing. Okay. So he's here. He is. Those, to- those smiles light up my life. And it's like, I mean, last night, like during, like, at, you know, when they usually eat dinner, it was just like I miss them. Like, I mean, <laughs> like, I miss telling them, hey. You got to eat that, or you're not going to get your dessert. You know, and just like you're not going to get your snack after. I miss that. Like I miss them. You know, cuddle up on their couches. They have like a Minnie Mouse couch and a Sophia couch that they cuddle up on and watch, you know, Bubble Guppies or something. I mean, this is like this guy is. First of all, this is this is it, it's only been one night. Right. I miss that. I miss like they're like I'm. I miss that. I'm going to miss this forever because they are so d e a d. Right. I mean, because otherwise you're, you're, you're talking about this whole thing, but it's only been one night and you're, and you're, and you're, and you're, and you're pushing all together these little scenes and it's like, dude, they're, they might come back. I mean, if, if, if you haven't killed them, which you did, did. but they might come back. I don't know what it is about. I don't know what it is about, uh, this whole, like even when you, when you look at the thing that happened in Columbia, Illinois and, I was thinking this last night in going over this, and and I, I never I never want to make things a racial thing, but you know, black people don't ever do stuff like this. You ever notice that? Like in Chicago or something, they'll kill each other over you know five dollars, right? But they don't kill their own kids. Uh, not always. Not Sometimes. always. Or they and they certainly but- don't kill their mothers or their dads or. Uh, and, and it's rare that they actually will will kill their wives, but white people do this stuff all the time. Yep. Like Chris Rock did this routine one time. You remember the yes. Chris Rock deal when he talked about the difference in in white people and black people and the uh-huh. crimes they commit. It's hilarious. And how like like you never see black people like black people don't like keep body parts in refrigerators, refrigerators and yeah. stuff and eat them. Funny. What is that though? What is it about the and, and and he does point out though correctly though, normally like a black person would never kill their parents. No. Like you never hear stories about black people killing their parents. Like the Menendez brothers. Yes. <laughs> and, and and you also what who else did he talk about? He said rarely um like that's it's, he said it, there's also this this uh instinct where that's why you don't actually ever see Black people killed in like mass killings, right? Because they get because because they always know how to get the hell out of out of dodge because they can sense something's going on. Right. It's funny. 
It's been a long time since I've heard it. It's pretty funny. Yeah. But nonetheless, I, I'm not trying to turn this into a, a humorous thing, but just these silly, twisted kind of things that are going on. In this case, for whatever reason, was like, wow, I can't believe this guy would do something like this. And, and, and how he did it and everything uh, else yeah. is just uh, is just unbelievable. So anyway, watch that tape because I've been telling you guys for a long time that there are so many tip-offs, and this was like a classic example. I would think that – I don't know whether it was just that the interviewer was really great uh, or, or that the um, – that the he was just so horrible and and so revealing, or maybe it's a mixture of both of them. You know, this is so. I don't know what this says about me. I think everybody probably has thought about it. I thought about it with the Coleman family. You know, I always think to myself, in the moment, like the murder is. It's here. It comes. It's coming. It's happening. I think my guy, and I think about myself. I'm like. Would, you know, did he kill his wife first and the poor little girls are watching or did he kill the kids first and the wife is, I mean, I just think about those last moments, uh, how horrific, no matter how it went down, just the sheer terror and panic that those poor people went through. It just, it, the whole thing makes me so, I get nauseous or how playing how per- it out in my head and uh, ugh. or how a person can do that and 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 then I'll give you one quick update to the is they found the girl so yeah i knew that and and it was in his at his oil or his, his company or something it's it like, is it's yeah. uh really like uh, un, unbelievable anyway that's enough uh yeah that's enough murder and mayhem for for one day here on the Radio Free Almond Show. By the way, coming up, I, I need to let you guys know, I'm, I'm hoping this comes off, I'm hoping this happens. Scott Bayo oh, at 9 o'clock. I wish I could stay because, you know, I had mad, mad love for him. Why can't you stay? Because I have to teach. Oh, okay. I have his album still with him in his yellow sweatshirt. You know, he, sang, he made an album, he was singing, 1982. Oh, Oh God, it's dreamy. Look at this. Here, I'll see show you. If I, well, I'm not going to confirm it's dreamy. Well, no, 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 no. I'm just telling you that. Let me see here, uh, Scott Bayo, and, and 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 is what? What is it? What is it, the album? Oh, this let's one. see. This one. Album. Oh. Oh, <laughs> oh Lord. Scott Bayo and Sean Cassidy were my boys. Oh, Sean Cassidy, I remember oh. that? My sisters all love my son Sean. Let me see if I can find him on uh, iTunes. Scott Bayo ever do a gaslight session, you guys? <laughs> Let me see if I can find him on. I'll, I'll, I I wonder if I should. Uh, you can't even stay for a little bit, huh? Those kids can wait. It. You don't yeah. need to be taught anything. They already they've learned everything they need to know. Let's see, Scott Bayo. Wanted for love. <laughs> Oh, I loved that song. Hold Wanted on. for love. Hold on a second. Looking for tenderness. Oh, oh gosh. Here, I'll get it for you. We'll share my happiness. few albums out oh god that takes me back he's got an album called the boys are out tonight 
Uh, and there is one nine steps to Scott Bayo fame. <laughs> but he's in for this uh, culture con thing. It's 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 going on in the uh, in the uh, uh, Steve Church set this up for me. <laughs> Only Steve can and he say, he say, could <laughs> manage to muster up some Scott Bayo for you at nine. It's it's the STL Pop Culture Con, and it's going to be at the St. Charles Convention Center, and it is from 3 to 9 today, and apparently there are going to be people from the, the, the cast members from the, the original film Grease are really? going to be like there. Stacker Channing and... Yeah. Oh, I don't know whether she's going to be there, but they say that they say cast members from the film Grease, Pirates of the Caribbean, and Growing Pain. Scott Bayo was in that one, right? Was no, he that Gro- was Kirk Cameron. Kirk Cameron. What if he's going to be there? I follow Kirk Cameron pretty closely because he's uh, pro Trump, right? Yeah, he's pro Trump. He's also um, really, really big on the technology stuff, right? Like he's 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 religious, correct? Very much so, and and he's been he's been involved, in it, and he's been actually accused of of uh, like he every, they always people are always trolling the guy, mm-hmm. and then they have uh, guys from uh, He Man and the Masters of the Universe and uh, wrestling and much more, so that it's going to be right there at the convention center today from three to nine, and Scott Bayo is going to be there, so he's he's apparently in town or doing whatever, so I'm going to be uh, Charles in charge. Is that well? Because I remember him as Chachi. I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't watch Char- Charles in Charge. I was a little older for that. But <laughs> all right. But I definitely loved his album. So the military parade that President Trump was talking about having, they've canceled it. Yep. Yeah, it's supposed to be this fall, and then he said, "Yeah, but you know what? I priced it out," and. Uh, and 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 the people in DC are are giving us a price tag for holding the parade, and they wanted us to pay them money to have this parade. And he's like, "I'm not paying these people money to have this parade." They, they wanted uh, ninety two million dollars was the was the cost, and that's just like in 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 terms of. Uh, um, in terms of having to transport all the equipment and all that kind of stuff. And the mayor, though, uh, wanted, for their part, $21 million for the city to be able to host this parade. $21 million bucks, And uh, they're going to delay it until 2019. The estimate for the parade had risen substantially since Trump's announcement uh, Mick Mulvaney told Congress the price could be between ten and thirty million dollars. The cost was initially reported as twelve million, and was based on the cost of a victory parade held at the Capitol after the ninety-one Gulf War. And then, ultimately, the cost rose to twenty-five million after adjusting for inflation. And then, just in terms of moving everything around, blah blah blah. And then they upperestimate. The cost when when the D.C. officials said that they're going to uh, that that they wanted like twenty five million dollars to be able to pull the parade off, 
at that point, Trump's like, I don't need it. And, and I don't Good know whether him. we really necessarily uh, needed all that much, but right. that's, the, that's the deal. So once again, we have another example, too. And, and because you know the president's being called racist and misogynist and everything else, you remember that the Joy Reid from MSNBC, remember all of her old blog posts and things like that where she was uh, basically promoting her – anti-gay stances and all that kind of stuff. Like, wait a minute, you're like a liberal on MSNBC. And and we've had time after time where some of these these left-wingers have come out and have said disparaging things about about Asians, about gays, about this, about that, but they never but 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 apparently Trump's the one who is the is the racist. Well, here we have a Democrat in Michigan who uh Called uh, her opponent and, and 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 her campaign staff Ching Chongs because of the uh, of her Asian heritage. Uh, Betty Cook, uh, Betty Cook Scott. Uh, there's a there's a there's a state rep uh, Stephanie Chang, and they're in this uh, pitched battle for this seat. And Scott referred to her opponent as Ching Chang and Ching Chong. To, to voters when she was outside of these polling precincts uh, and, and and told some of her campaign volunteers that she wants them out of the country. She told a voter uh, at one point, this, this black woman told a voter that immigrants from China were coming over and taking over and taking over the community. All this kind of stuff from a person who has already been on the record as being one of the uh, she's a Hillary Clinton supporter who at the time when the president was running routinely attacked the president for being a xenophobe and everything else and there she is going after her her, her Asian American opponent mhm and she said you know that you don't belong here they don't immigrants don't belong here yeah that's what we're that's that's uh that's what we're getting ladies and gentlemen. By the way, did you see Joe Biden who is possibly one of the uh well they they talked about him running for president in 2020 now basically is ill enough that they that he's not allowed to travel anywhere. Really? Yeah. Huh. Now I got to tell you What's what what's wrong with him? I don't know. They're I not saying. No, I don't know. Too much Kents and too many Kents and Kents. too much Does bourbon, I guess. Kents? No, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I just envision him having Kent bourbon breath when he's massaging the shoulders of 14-year-old girls, Ugh. daughters of incoming U.S. senators that, that he's on the record as, as doing on a routine basis. Yeah. But anyway, I, I was actually – to tell you the truth, when it comes to 2020, Biden is one of the guys that I uh, fear the most. Really? Well, and it's and it's because, you know, he's got a compelling personal story regarding, you know, when his wife was killed when he was younger and then and then his son dies and, you know, even though he has been kind of made dopey statements and things like that and at one point his 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 desire to d- divide Iraq into three separate countries was an idiotic idea, but as a politician and as a as a person, he tends to uh he tends to come across better than any of the other democrats out there. Yeah. He he doesn't seem to be like even though 
people would disagree with me. He doesn't seem to be kind of the the hack that that some of the other people are. So I, I'm I'm really actually more worried about him than anybody else. But now apparently I don't have to worry too much if you can if you can't move. I mean I'm not. It's I'm a not little ways off though. He might he might bounce, bounce back. back. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but 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 he's the guy. I you know, like people like Elizabeth Warren or. Even if Hillary comes back, whatever, they're going to be no match. But a, a, but a Biden with the entire power of the media behind him could definitely do something. If you were Hillary Clinton and you lost to Donald Trump, could you run again? Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. You, you could? Oh, yeah, she, would, she would make another run of it in a second. But would you, if you were Hillary Clinton? Well... Uh, yeah. You would? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd do it again. Wow. Well, just based on the fact, but here's the thing, though. It's only been four years, and you really, in a sense, you you, you can't really just uh, take back the things you said about the deplorable comments. and, and, and And all the ideas you put forth during the campaign, so far, President Trump has done the opposite. And things have worked. So I don't know what kind of argument she'd make. Uh, That's what I mean. To I, the country. I, how could you? I just don't even know how you could campaign again. And, you know, I, I'd, be, oh. it, I'd be embarrassed beyond belief. I don't know what the argument any Democrat will make running against the president. Yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know what exactly they're going to say to people about why they should be uh, holding the the White House because Nancy Pelosi so far has her argument for Democrats in the midterms and you're going to get a reflexive reaction and it, 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 the the idea that the Democrats could take over the house yeah it's possible if they don't it'll be a surprise historically because generally in an off election or an off year right. you're going to have you know you're going to have that changeover because you're always whenever especially when you have a very active president like Trump but the same thing happened with Obama he's elected in 2008 2010 Republicans take over uh Congress and that's kind of what happens is that people the pendulum swings and people kind of you know uh you know take the the, the other party takes control because they wrestle the wrestle control back of the, of the agenda. That's kind of what, what happens every time. But there's a chance that they won't do it. And that would be that would they would that would be making history. history. Yeah. Cuz because throughout modern history every time a president has been elected uh, one year that after the second uh, year in office the congress is taken over by the other party. Reagan 82, it happened with Clinton uh, it happened with uh, Obama. I mean, it, it just every every time. So the idea that there even there's even a doubt should be bad enough for the Democrats. Right. That's that's really what this is all about, because they don't have a message. And even when even when Nancy Pelosi was interviewed on MSNBC in that world famous interview we talked about, she still had to go back to Mitch McConnell. Uh-huh. She still had to go back to. Uh, we need to put people. Uh, we need to get people ready to do the 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 roads and bridges and new WPA product projects and everything else. And they don't have a compelling argument. We just saw here that President Trump and his tariffs creating eleven thousand jobs in manufacturing. We have a four point one uh, GDP. We have receipts 
tax receipts flying into the treasury thanks to the tax cuts, both corporate and income and individual and otherwise. So I don't know what they're going to say it's other gonna- than that, 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 that President Trump's a racist and he might have said the N-word on a tape, give us the White House. It's like, nope, that's not going to work. Pulling out all the punches. Yeah. I mean, and, and so far they, they have, they have nothing up. going for them right now. It's going to be entertaining as hell. I can't wait. Been watching the Cardinals. Paul has. We could be. We could be. We could win the World Series. It, <laughs> they're doing well. I mean, we could. We could actually. We could. We could wind up winning the World Series. You know that, don't you? Absolutely. I was talking to somebody the other day about the um, the PGA, and I know it might be old news, but the fact of the matter is, uh, that that was such a great showing, and and St. Louis is just. I mean, Tiger Woods actually was happy for one time in his life and because people were cheering him and oh, yeah. loving on the guy yeah. and everything else. And all I can say is it, 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 it creates an atmosphere where we could get uh, some of that stuff back. So St. Louis is proving itself to be a uh, pretty darn good sports town. All right. If you are uh, looking for something to do this weekend, make sure you head down to Santino Cigars and Cocktails. You need to get your butt down there at some point. We're gonna have we're gonna have the uh, Radio Free Almond Happy Hour down there oh, uh, in September. Oh, cool! So make sure you guys. I, well, uh, I'll be there for that for sure. Mark your calendars for that. September. And also, again, thanks to Golden Oak Lending. Yesterday, kind of sealed the deal. GoldenOakLending dot com. Uh, supporting the show. Thanks a lot, uh, James. Thanks a lot, Sean, for uh, all that you've been doing for us and for your support of the uh, of the show. Thank you to Matthew Mitchell and the Matthew Mitchell Allstate Agency, 855-QUOTE-ME. Matthew is a longtime friend of mine and is my home life and auto guy, and so I appreciate all uh, that he's doing for me. Also, make sure you get hooked up with my guys over at Mattress King, Tomorrow, from 10 to 2, they are open for you to go ahead and walk in there at St. Peter's. But uh, they are normally by appointment. Chris Kahneman, if you want to call him today, make an appointment. The reason why he does the appointment process is because he is uh, uh, keeps his costs down. He doesn't have to hire a bunch of people just to sit around and, and wait for you to walk in so they could trick you into buying a, a more expensive mattress. 636-698-5167. 636-698-5167. Uh, one Mattress King on your Facebook page as well. Make sure you like the page. Also, Golden Oak Lending, go to their Facebook page and like them and and tell them how much you appreciate their support of the show. And also, I am going to be seeing Dr. Naputi. I have to go down there this morning because for whatever reason, and this happened to me even during when I was in Italy or whatever, something like is up with my back. Like something is like to the point now where my entire arm goes numb. Oh, it's pinching a nerve. Yeah. And so I just need him to beat the crap out of me. When I was over in Italy and I was, I, I was had that problem, I was like, I was having that. I, I had the kids like punch me in my back, <laughs> like right punch where my right shoulder, here. like something right yeah. here, you know? Yep. I was like having him punch me. And, 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 and then the plane ride, I had, uh, you know, my, my in laws, my, brother and sister-in-law had this like uh this thing they use i guess it's 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 one of the like it's this hard rubber ball or whatever and my sister-in-law uses it on her back so i did the entire plane ride with that thing stuck right in my shoulder blade pressing in my shoulder blade just just to keep myself from being in it's not really pain it's more like just 
discomfort. Right. So Dr. Deputy is great about that. He's not going to give me a pill, right. that kind of stuff. He just does, does the adjustment and you're off to the races. Oftentimes he can tell uh, when, when he does a little spinal scan, he can tell uh, each little space in your spine mm-hmm. is controls something in your body. Mm-hmm. And he can often tell you just by looking at you before you even tell him like what might be a problem. Like if you have stomach issues, if you have this, if you have that. Even if you have a cold. Right. It's amazing. He's amazing. How did you get a cold in the summertime? Other people were sick around me. Oh, really? Kids or something? No, other adults. It started with a, a friend, my friend Michelle. Then it went to Matt. Then it went to Megan and me. <laughs> a lot of M's. This is when you Michelle guys were down in, uh, in uh-huh. Arkansas? Well, you know, I stay up late and I get up early. So when you don't get a lot of rest. Are you calling Scott Bayo now? Yeah. Just for a second. You can stick around okay. just for one second, can't you? Yes. Let me, let me get his number here. Scott Bayo. Scott Bayo. You dare me to play? You dare me to play his song? <laughs> All right. So, do what it. do you what do you think the chances are that he's actually going to answer? this I think phone? he will. Has think? Steve texted you recently? And he said, "I Bayo called me last night. It will be good." Bayo called Bayo Steve. Yeah, Bayo called Bayo me. Bayo called me. All right, let me see if I can do this. You know, Steve and I have known each other since we're seven, right? Oh, seven? Yeah. I don't know if your listeners know that either. Maybe they don't even care, but... Um, well, they care. Yeah. Steve and I have been... Uh, we rode the school bus together. We were neighbors. Okay. Moment of truth. Ready? Kill you, Steve Church. Dude. <laughs> Please enter the area code and phone number. What? Nothing has been selected. Please enter the area code and phone number. Why don't you bite me? Nothing has been selected. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Steve Church. I'll try him one more time because it is it is only nine oh two. Try it oh again, gosh, okay? Too funny. Maybe if I play his uh, his music, it'll be like it'll be like Snake Charming, right? Here, before I before I hit it, let's see. <laughs> How do you talk to girls? I'll do that one.
I said this morning that I didn't think this was going to happen. Please enter the area code and phone number. Yeah? What you... Nothing has been selected. Bend Please over. enter the area code and phone number. Yeah? Well, why don't you uh, Nothing has go been make me selected. a ham sandwich. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> You're going to add all these songs to your playlist now. I'm telling you. I'm not just saying this. I'm not just saying this. uh, Oh, here. Steve gave me the wrong God blessed number then. (laughs) Call Scott at this number. Okay. So I I shouldn't call him at the number you gave me. Hi, is Scott Bayo there? You got the wrong number. <laughs> okay, sorry. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> Hi, is Scott Bayo there? <laughs> She's like, you've got the wrong number. Church, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Is it the 933 number or is it the 932 number? Eight. I just did. I just dialed that number and she said I got the wrong number. Uh. Try this one. (laughs) Is Scott Bayo there? I'm going to kill you. I just dialed that number, dude. I'm going to dial it again. Just dialed this. Hello. Hi. Is, Hello. Is, is Scott Bayo there? No. You got the wrong number. What? What? You got the wrong number. Renee. Uh. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's the wrong number. Dude, stop calling. You got the wrong number. Wait, who is this? Someone's asking for Scott Bale. Hey, I don't Renee, know who this it's is. The phone, it's the phone interview I'm doing. Hello? Yeah, hey, what's up, man? Who's this? Uh, this is Jamie Allman calling from St. Louis, buddy. Yeah, How okay. you doing? Oh, who Good. is this? My wife. That oh. was my wife. She, you, 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 I think you woke her up. Oh. But... Uh, <laughs> Dude, I'm sorry about that. I, I, I well, okay. she said I had the wrong number. I was thinking, oh, maybe, maybe I do, and then I called it one more time just because I'm convinced this is the number. And uh, it oh, wound- I, didn't, I didn't hear it ringing. <laughs> All right, brother. Hey, uh, great talking to you, man. I, I, I can't tell you how thrilled uh, I am to be talking to Chachi, but, but also how thrilled 
my friend Gia Valenti is to be talking to you too because she was pointing out one of her favorite albums, of course, is a Scott Bayo album, uh, and one of her favorite songs is uh, Wanted for Love. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you thrilled about that or not? <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm, uh. <laughs> I didn't mean to, to damage you. <laughs> So Scotty is in uh, for uh, for the uh, STL Pop Culture Con. Are you in? Are you in St. Louis now? No, I'm home. Oh, okay. I'm in LA. All right. Uh, and and uh, so, are you going to be at Culture Con then? So you're breaking up a little bit. I don't know why. You uh, am I what? Uh, are you going to be at Culture Con? Uh, I think if, if yeah, tomorrow and Sunday. Oh, tomorrow and Sunday. Okay, because uh, I it said here it begins uh, today, but you're going to be in uh, tomorrow and Sunday in St. Louis. And Scott, you know what? It's interesting when you look back on all you've done for TV and pop culture and beyond. Uh, man, you you really have you really have worn well. I mean, you look good, and you're out there. You got guts. You've been supporting. You know. The president and uh, you've got you've probably taken a lot of hits for that. By the way, I'm a this is a conservative talk show we have here called Radio Free Allman, and so uh, not only are we thankful for what you've done for uh, our pop culture and for all the girls out there, but we appreciate what you've done to support the president. Although you've taken some grief for that, haven't you? Yeah, uh, I have, and it's it was um, it was it got it. I did take a, a lot of grief. I don't quite understand it. Uh, I, I, you, you can disagree with people, but um, for some reason, if you uh, disagree with a certain element in the country right now, you are you are just uh, just you know, people come after you like like uh, like it's World War Three, and I don't. I, I just don't understand it. I mean, um, you know, Barack Obama won, and okay, he won, and I I dealt with it. And that's the way it was, and I wasn't online screaming at everybody. And but when it seems like whenever um, a Republican wins, it's illegitimate or it doesn't count or um, something happened. Uh, and, and, and I'm and, and I'm sort of it's sad. It really is sad that you don't you can't you can't have an opinion anymore. Yeah, and you know it's one of those things where uh, I think that that especially in Hollywood where everybody is so deeply entrenched, oftentimes there's uh, kind of a payback in terms of career opportunities, but 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 you don't really need that. I mean, um, you, you don't need these people anymore. So you you have a little more independence at this at this point. Although you do take the hits. Uh, it's not really one of those things where it, it has uh, slowed you down or affected your career or whatever because you've already kind of paid your dues. You've already been, uh, you know, in, in TV and films for a while. And so you, you, these people can't hang that over your head right now. Well, I'm, I'm sure it's affected me in some way that I don't know. Uh, and that's okay, too. But, um uh, again, it, it goes back to uh, you, you can't you can't seem to disagree with people anymore yeah. on the other side. There's there's no there's no conversation, uh, and I don't and I don't understand that. I I, I just don't. So um, has it hurt me? Probably. Um, does it bother me? Um, 
believe in, and I have a family that I, that I want to protect, and I want them to uh, have the same opportunities that I had and that, that a lot of people in this country have. And I, and I don't think that uh, socialism um, is the correct path for any nation. So, and I, th- I think young people today who seem to favor socialism, I don't think they really know what it is. It sounds kind of good that everybody gets something for free. Uh, you know, Santa Claus is, is a great guy, but when, when it gets down to reality, uh, I just wish these people would, would take five minutes and read what's going on in Venezuela. Uh, because it it doesn't it's not it, it's not it's not nirvana it's not uh, it's not this wonderful uh, place where um, everything sort of works out socialism it just doesn't so um, I, I I just I wish they would just just take a look at that and maybe they would um, change their mind a little bit yeah I mean it's it's interesting though how how much you you know you you in in that in in your neck of the woods in Hollywood and beyond. You know how they just try to keep everybody cloistered in one direction when this is just simple stuff. We debate this stuff all the time, and as you point out, Barack Obama gets elected. Okay, fine, we'll deal with that. And it's like it's just uh, just let's, let's just kind of uh, enjoy America here. And that's one of the things that I know you're focusing on when you're in St. Louis uh, for uh, Pop Culture Con. And real quickly though, I know you started Happy Days you, when you were 16 years old, uh, and you know I don't know. I'm 55. Uh, I kind of remember like what I was doing when I was 16. How much? How 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 detailed a memory do you have of your time with Happy Days? You dropped that. You dropped. You dropped out for a quick second. Okay. Question. Uh, Yeah. How detailed is your memory uh, of your work on Happy Days? I mean, what kind of when you look back on uh, what you were doing there? You're 16 years old, a teenager. Uh, What? what, uh, How do you reflect on on Happy Days and the cast and everything else? It was a wonderful experience. People that I that I uh, met, uh, people that I worked with, it was uh, it 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 changed my life, obviously, and and um, it gave me everything that I have today. From you know, Gary Marshall uh, discovered me and, and brought me out here to California, and I worked for him for a long time. But it was a wonderful experience. I uh, the memories I have of are, are pretty much. Um, Kind of, kind of like a picnic yeah. every day. It was just fun and and storytelling on the set and playing and goofing around and um, we somehow fit work into all that. And uh, it, it was a, it was a great it was a truly great experience. I, I got to work with some fantastic people and I have some vivid memories of uh, things that happened, but. As time goes on, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll catch a whole an old Happy Days episode huh. on 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 television, and I go, oh yeah, I remember that one, and uh, you know, it's, it 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 went off the air in uh, eighty uh, eighty three, yeah. So it's thirty five years ago, and things start to fade from memory, but uh, a great experience. Yeah, I and and you know I know that recently the death of Aaron Moran was sad because uh, you know it just was kind of a a, a tough row for her. Uh, but you you for a while though you you guys were keeping in touch. You kept kept in touch with a lot of the cast members, correct? You do from time to time. Um, uh, people always ask me 
hey, do you still talk to this one and that one? And the only the best way I can explain it is doing a television show in a neighborhood, and you see all these people, and uh, you 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 live there for eight, nine, seven, ten years, or whatever, and then you move, and you say you'll keep in touch, and you do move to another neighborhood, and then you kind of make new friends and. Um, you kind of lose touch with those people, although you still love them and care for them, but you, you, your life moves on. And I went from one show to another, and I made those new friends, which was like moving from one neighborhood to another. And, but when I do see those people, it's just great. And, you know, Marion Ross lives very close to me. Uh, so once in a while, I'll just walk up the block and say hello to her. And so it's been touched, but... As time goes on again, you just, um, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Well, buddy, listen, uh, you've given us a lot of joy and you've had a really just amazing, uh, television career, man. You've just been all over the place and, uh, it just is really, it's been really cool to watch. Uh, how you've uh, you've handled it? We we we're so glad for your continued success. It's going to be fun to see you in St. Louis for STL Pop Culture Con uh, at the St. Charles Convention Center there, and uh, for a for a for a guy from Brooklyn, man, you've you've made it made it made it good, haven't you? Well, I've been lucky and 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 really blessed and and. Uh... It, I, very rarely, um, although it happens more now as I get older, I think about w- where I where I'm from and where I am, uh, and it's mind-boggling. And you know, I, I ask myself this question from time to time: How do I? How did I get here? And you just live your life day to day, and all of a sudden you end up in a place, and you go, "Whoa, how did this happen?" Uh, so my my life has been fantastic. I've been very lucky. Um, I'm I thank God every night, and I thank my mom and dad every night who are no longer here. Uh, and I have a I have a, a wonderful wife and a beautiful child. And there's nothing else that I really need. Yeah, you know you t- you mentioned your parents, and of course they were you're they they were immigrants. They were here uh, from Italy, came in from uh, Sicily, and. And you, so you, you, uh, your, your parent, you know what it is to kind of uh, make your way in the world. You, you watched your parents do that as people well, who were. Uh, well, that's not the, 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 close. My grandparents. Your grandparents, yeah. My grandparents. But, but I grew up in a neighborhood in, in Brooklyn where um, people just did for themselves. So I don't, I don't know anything else. I, I, I couldn't be anything else than what I am. Uh, every, my dad worked hard. My mom took care of us, and my father broke his back, to, you know, providing for us. Didn't want anything from anybody, so my worldview is that. And um, and he set up my brother and my sister and myself uh, to have great lives, and I'm forever in in their debt. And the the expression, you know, you want your children to have a better life than you, certainly applies to me. Uh, so I, I'm very grateful to them. Yeah, and you know, uh, real quickly before you get away, though, one more quick thing about politics. It's interesting how we the the, the times have changed even uh, for conservatives in Hollywood because really, in the in the end, you were you were you were you campaigned for Ronald Reagan 
and and you still had a budding career even after that. So it appears that you know it's it's not that 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 it's always your politics that gets you. It's the time because you you, you, you I know you probably got some grief. Uh, when you supported Ronald Reagan, but the fact of the matter is, it didn't affect your career at that time, did it? Because it seems like you still had a fantastic career even after that. I don't think it. I don't think that affected my career at all. I I think the country was in a different place. Yeah. Uh, I think nowadays, with social media, anybody that um, is not informed can say whatever they want and attack people. And if and if you are informed and you and you and you are are on the other side, um, that's okay too. But uh, this vitriol and this hate that comes out, um, it, it 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 bothers me because these the people on social media are sort of nameless and faceless. Because I find that when I talk to a liberal or a Democrat one on one, we have a great conversation, and we go back and forth, and it doesn't get heated. But when you can just say something about somebody without any consequences, uh, that's, that's not a good thing. So, um, you know, Reagan, the, back in 1980 and 84, different country. Yeah. Totally different country. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I think you're absolutely right. But you know what? Uh, you uh, just keep, keep looking straight forward like you do and uh, keep on going like you are. And we appreciate you spending time with us, Scott. And and thanks for yeah, you, you. all the Go entertainment. Ahead, okay, buddy. Uh, safe. Tra- I, I, well, thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Safe travels. See all you, right, man. Bye. Okay, take care. That's Scott uh, Bayo. He's going to be in town for STL Pop Culture Con at the convention center all weekend long. At, at first, it just told me it was the seventeenth from three to nine, but it's uh, it's every single day, and you can go. Uh, at uh, they have a at universe.com they have a whole uh, rundown of what's going on there so it's uh, 3 to 9 Friday 10 to 6 on Saturday and 10 to 4 on Sunday so you can go ahead and uh, check it out and uh, Scott Bayo is going to be in for the Saturday and Sunday events that was weird man his wife answering the phone I'm glad I called back, you know. It's kind of it's kind of the reporter in me, you know, where uh you know, p- persistence does matter. And so when that woman said you got the wrong number, I'm thinking, "No, I know I don't have the wrong number." I mean, I I, I know that that's like not the wrong number, so I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and call it again. I could have just given up then, but you know what? Never surrender people, right? That's not what we do here. Wife seems like she's a piece of work, though. <laughs> At one time, they were both on the air together. You've got the wrong number! Honey, no. He's, he's calling from St. Louis. Wrong number! It's like, okay. <laughs> Classic. Oh, that, that part was the, the best part of the interview. On my part, at least. He was great. I was horrible, but what are you going to do? I'm not the best celebrity interviewer all the time. Not comfortable. But you know what? Take one for the team, because you guys want to hear from Scott Bayo, so 
I let you do just that. Let you let you wince through that interview. Good morning this morning. Thank you to Discovery Design, DiscoveryDesignInc.com for the studio. 855-QUOTE-ME. The Matthew Mitchell Allstate Agency. Thank you. Santino Cigars and Cocktails. Thank you. Mattress King. Thank you. Dr. Eric Deputy. Thank you, buddy. Thank you to Golden Oak Lending. GoldenOakLending.com. Give them a call today for your home purchasing or your refi needs. When you Or just call them anyway and say, you know what? Thanks a lot for stepping up and supporting Radio Free Almond. Thank you, James and Sean and the rest of the gang there at Golden Oak Lending. GoldenOakLending.com. Thank you to Tracy Ellis, too. TracyEllis.com. And thank you guys for your support of Radio Free Almond. Check it out, RadioFreeAlmond.com for all your gear. You saw Gia wearing the white version of the tank. White nationalists call that color. They have the forest green, have the military green, the blue, tri-blend. It's awesome. All the hats are available, too, up there. Have a great weekend, everybody. See ya. Don't fence me.